XM 105, Sirius 206, the Opie and Anthony Channel. The Ron and Fez Show starts right now. It's a rainy afternoon, 1990. The big city. Jeez, it's been 20 years. Candy.
Okay, let's get down to it, Boppers. All right, let's get down to it, Boppers. It's the running Fez show on a Wednesday. The kids call it Wednesday, Wednesday over the Today Show, and they sure as hell know what they're talking about. It's hump day. Uh, Coming up in just a little bit, we go straight into an unmasked uh, hour talk with Eugene Levy, the legend from SCTV, the Christopher Guest, and now Tyler Perry and his... um, Protective witness protection. Witness protection is the name of it. Medea, baby. Yeah, Cakes. I've seen the movie. Cool. Legally, I can't say what I think of it. I oh. signed a paper. Wow, they mm. own it now. Uh, I might tweet it uh, a little later. Uh, you'll check me out, Rockin' Ronnie, on Twitter. Really? Is that you? No. All right, uh, the Ron and Fez show on a Wednesday, eight six six Ron zero Fez. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Now, um, in the movie news, well, first of all, let's get this out of the way. If you go over on the iBang.com, you will see a lovely picture of Black Girl from the future. Uh, they don't know that it's him yet. They feel like they've made up this model, but I know for a fact it's Black Girl from the future. Now, the James Cameron is back in the news because he's dedicating, apparently, the rest of his career... <laughs> Yeah. To the blue people. Everything is now Avatar. Everything else doesn't matter. He's shooting Avatar. Well, first it was just Avatar 2. But now I heard Avatar 2, 3, and 4 all at the same time. He's making another trilogy. Well, I can't shoot a Titanic sequel. I don't think that'll be a problem because uh, it's the same movie, I'm sure. It's blue people running around in the... Avatar Land. In the second one, they're going to go into the sea, is what I heard. You got it. I can't see how people... All right, the first Avatar blew the fuck up. 3D, The first new 3D fucking... The first new 3D movie. I can't see the next Avatar is doing anywhere near as well. Uh, You're not going to shock us anymore. Exactly. I mean, it, be, the hype for the first one was just so ridiculous. Yeah, it was yeah, years leading up to it. Yeah, it was years leading up to it. But here's the other side. Has this guy done anything in 20 years that hasn't been successful? And none of it is great. No one sits around and thinks, hey, you want to come over to my house and watch Avatar again? No one. You never find yourself in an Avatar discussion. No. And yet people all around the world just show up to them. But I do think that you're onto something where I'm saying, you know, we've seen it. We know what it is, except for if it's under the sea. He's going to tell us you've never seen anything like this. We're going to go bullshit and then find ourselves walking to AMC without wanting to. Joe's walking along as if we've been hypnotized by Mr. James Cameron. He's... Of course it's going to be huge. It's, it's the new Star Wars. George <laughs> Lucas won't make any more Star Wars. You got Cameron making his avatars. Okay, but. People talked about Star Wars all the time. People joked about Star Wars. People did. You ever run into people talking about Avatar? Yeah, it's like and right. you remember what it was like with Star Wars hysteria. Fez, people dressed up like it. They did their houses like it. I don't read. I don't run into Avatar people like this. I can't name an Avatar character. I mean, there's Darth Vader, and Luke Skywalker, Chim Chim. Uh, <laughs> went there. It is true that I don't feel. 
even though it was a big, big movie, bigger than Star Wars, you don't run into people who think about it all the time the way they do Star Wars. They started a Star Wars religion. Are little kids obsessed with Avatar? No. No. They're not. It's weird because more people showed up for this than Avengers, and yet I feel like people would dress up like Avengers. If you said, I'll have an Avengers party, people are like, yeah, I'll be there dressed up like it. <laughs> I'll have a Star Wars party. They would dress up like it. I'll have a Batman party. In. But would they show up to your Avatar party? Uh, it's up on the iBang right now. And let's put a, you know, make sure we got a poll up on that. Will it be successful? Here's the other side of this, though. Has anyone ever had the big success when you shoot all the movies at the same time? The first time I ever remember this happening was uh, Back to the Future when they did two and three. Because yeah, at the end of two, they had the trailer for three. And they seemed like they needed a little time. They didn't know exactly what they were doing when they got into three. <laughs> they got lost. We all like the first Matrix. As a matter of fact, there was a movie people talked about constantly. Yeah. I will still hear people talking about the Matrix b- more. It's, if, it's a, if Matrix 1 is on, you're going to watch it. It's a science fiction action movie classic. They shot the Superman sequel along the same time as they shot Thank Superman you. 1 with Christopher Reeve. Thank you. And it was blue. Uh, the Kill Bills were shot. Well, actually, Kill Bill was shot as one movie. That, yeah. Um, I don't know if the Harry Potters must have been that way, too. And the stupid Pirates of the Caribbean, where they shot two and three at the same time. Made no sense. There's another case. They're successful, yet have you ever been in a Pirates of the Caribbean discussion? Even with a little kid. I couldn't, no. I couldn't tell you what they're kid, up to. A little kid will talk to you constantly about Buzz Lightyear or one of that, some bullshit like that. Captain Jack's so, more of an adult character. This could be the chance for James Cameron to finally screw the pooch after, I don't know, almost 20 years of... <laughs> Just constantly cranking out the biggest movie in the world. Bigger than anyone can imagine. It's just I'm cra- sure he will come back and prove us all wrong again. It's a crazy move. I, I guess when he went back to the bottom of the fucking ocean last time, or a few months ago, he was, what, shooting stuff for the new movie? Yes, that's, like, that's what he crazy always does. Bullshit. Yeah. But, you know, if you remember the hype that they had last time, is like, this will change filmmaking forever, and it's not so much a movie as it is a dream. And I'm like, I can't wait. This is a dream. It's not a movie. It's a dream. I go see that. And yet I went to see it. It was a, it was a movie. The 3D. It really was. It was a 3D movie. And it was pretty to look at. It was a lot prettier to look at than it was to pay attention to. But I'm sure you could say that about a lot of big Hollywood films. All right. That's up on the iBang today. Coming up in just a little bit, Eugene Levy will be live. Uh, with us as we do an unmask. The first of two unmasks this week, Friday, uh, will be a great unmask, the one that you're really looking forward to, Chris Stanley. Yeah, Daryl Hammond. It's going to be amazing. He has his book out. It's going to be ridiculous. I can't, that's going to be a great one. It's a dark, dark book. It's a dark, dark place. Um, off we go. Um, and then we'll be announcing... Another unmasked very, very soon. Yeah. One for July that the whole company is all excited about. Mm-hmm. Very um, exciting. It is the Run and Fez show. You know, we didn't get... I, I want to put this up on the iBank today 
as a good question. Uh, because, Pepper, you, there's something going on in your life. You brought it up to me. I have my own opinions, but also we'll leave it up to people as well. Go ahead. Okay, so maybe a week ago, I got a call like at 3, 4 in the morning. Mm-hmm. My buddy's like, I fucked up. I lied, said I was out drinking with you all night when I was actually screwing around my fiance. Mm-hmm. I was like, what? Okay, sure. But he's like, no, you have to come home with me to sell this thing with me. I'll pay you. I'll give you an ounce of weed to fucking to do good this weed? for me. Yeah, good weed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a good pot. Give me your street value. Probably like $350, $400 ounce of fucking pot. Okay. Uh, and I'm like, that, at that point, I was like, it's four in the morning. I'm sober. I, I was sleeping. I was woken up. I'm like, all right, fuck it. I guess. All right, let's you do it. You wake up lying, as you know to do. <laughs> so did you go through with it? I grabbed a bottle of Grand Marnier I had in my freezer. That was the only liquor I had on hand. And then poured it all over our necks and hands to make us smell like liquor. Bought some fucking booze. Bought some 40s. And walked in acting drunk to his fiance, Him into his apartment. You're kind of almost master criminal on this. You're not just a I will lie for you. But you're the wolf. You are fixing things. I understand that... Um, your grandparents gave this to you. You know what they would like to? I'm sure if they were still alive, like you'd have a nice bedroom set. Yeah. I look yeah. oak myself. Oak is good. Um, so your good question is, how far do you go for a buddy? Yeah. You did this for him. Yeah. Do you feel good about it? I feel kind of bad because I'm friends with the fiance as well. That's the problem. Originally friends with him, but, you know, he dated this girl, now it's his fiance. I feel kind of bad. Uh, Watley, where would you have gone in this? Yeah, I wouldn't. I would have said, handle this on your own. I don't want to get involved in being part of his staged antics. But you are involved. Even by saying no, you now come in, you're involved in this because you haven't been there for a buddy. So you're not really dodging... An uncomfortable situation. You now have two decisions. Do I want to lie to one person or tell my friend our friendship is not worth what you think it is? I'm not here to lie for you. So by doing that, I kind of feel like you lose a friend or at least change the relationship so much that it's never the same again. I mean, this is a dude I'm, I'm tight with. Like, he's a good friend of mine. Yeah. And he offered me the fucking weed, and I was like, I'm not doing anything else. I think the weed part is back. just the most disgusting. <laughs> the fact that if you would have just done it out of friendship. Hey, he offered it up. Like, I, I understand, but now you're like a $350 whore. Now, Fez, then, then you... the next step is tell my girl that you bought that weed off of me. Because that's missing. I don't think anybody sits around has their chick check their their content. Is my stash okay? Yeah. Um, because here's the other side of this: the reason why we keep friends and keep them close is it's an asset to ourselves as well. It is protection, protections against the cruel world, and you don't know when you're going to fuck up and need that guy. Now, Chris Stanley can always say. Dude, I fucking rubbed liquor on myself in one of your house four o'clock in the morning. In the middle of the night, and then and I hung out there for yeah. a while and drank. <laughs> to, to well, you make... were already up there. I mean, yeah, I was up. I stunk like liquor. Might as well fucking get pounded a little bit in. Now, Fez, you said you would not do this, right? No you way. You stick to that. 
if I called you on the phone and said, I need you to do something for me, you wouldn't do it. I would do it for you, I, but the problem is, this is enabling this guy. So what? The point is, you would be enabling me too. One of the things that we do for friends is we uh, enable. Would you do it if I called you? Could yeah, I call you? You could call me, yeah. All right, so that fucks up this thing for your side. Your point is, you wouldn't do it for his friend, but you would do it for your friend. That's the thing. Listen, he's my dog. And so it's easy for us to sit here and tell Chris Stanley, I wouldn't do it for you. But if I got a call in the middle of, my, in the middle of the night from certain people, and I'm not even saying who they are. Some people I haven't even seen for decades. And they said, I need you to make sure you fucking stick this under your bed. Or I need you to help me put this package in the ground or in the water. I think I do it because there's something there's connection there, man. Locked in. Now, and that's how you feel about me. You would do it not judging whether it was right or wrong. You do it because we go back before you can even judge right or wrong. That's the weird thing that right or wrong almost exists outside of that friendship. Now, here's the problem that you have, yeah, Chris. Yeah. That you're friends with her. <laughs> That's the bad part of this. It's so much easier to do it if you're not uh, friends. Yeah, it feels a little weird. I mean, I'm sure they'll get, they're going to get married, too. It's not like this. I don't think this thing's going to really dissolve. It's so here's the thing. Odd. For this thing that you've done, you now must carry it the rest of your life. Because, yeah. you know, 10 years from now... If this comes out, here's the problem. If this guy feels like he wants to say, look, I, I love you so much, and I did something horrible back when I used to drink. Oh. And she goes, "But and, and I fooled around, but I'll never do that again. And he'll go, but you said you were with Chris. Yeah, Chris is a fucking liar. What the you fuck? Why am I getting dimed out? He's some piece of shit from Astoria Bullshit. who does nothing but lie. Guys will do that. I had a fucking friend... Uh, a really good friend who fucking kind of sold me out to his chick to protect himself. Oh, boy. And I'm like, well, whatever. That's his fucking, you know, that's his thing. That's what he has to do. That's what he's got to do to live in his little fucking life that he's created for himself. Because he did, like your friend, he lived in a web of lies. It's so much easier if you can just put your shit out there and say, look, this is very uncomfortable for you, but sometimes... This motherfucker got a howl at the moon. And I'm going to get over it. I don't stay out there. But occasionally, I got to blow some steam off. I go catting. And she would have to say, wow, I'm uncomfortable with that. But, yeah, okay. Thank you for being up front. Well, I would be crushed if I was friends with her, covered up for his cheating. They get married, have a kid, and then he cheats again. When he would have gotten caught the first time and they wouldn't have gotten married and had this child involved. That's ridiculous. That's none of your what? fucking business. So your whole point is you'd rather this kid that you think that you're protecting was never born. That's, that's like, yes. that, no, like a Terminator. That's fucking high and mighty. You don't sit in front of other people's families like that. <laughs> that's fucking ridiculous. That's the, that's the dumbest part of this I've ever heard. You're now acting like it's okay for him to, but somehow he's cheating on a baby. That's stupid talk. That, 
you, my friend, need to punch that Republican ticket and go back into church, because that's church talk. Uh, coming up in just a little bit. It is the um, the unmasked today with really one of the all-time great sketch comedy guys. Eugene Levy is coming up in just a couple of minutes. Uh, SCTV and the Christopher Guest films are genius, folks. Hysterical. Genius. Um, that's coming up in just a little bit. And more as the... Uh, Day goes on. All right, it is the Ron and Fez show. Uh, lots of stuff uh, coming. I never even asked you guys this, yeah. and I think it's it's actually a tough question. But uh, out of all the Christopher Guest films, now remember, he did not film Spinal Tap. That was Rob Reiner, so we won't include that. Okay. So, out of the films that he directed. Uh, with that great cast, what is your all-time favorite? Winning for Guffman is my all-time favorite. It's a really strong one. Fez? That's the one. Waiting for Guffman with the fantastic Corky St. Clair. Uh, best in show is brilliant. And I want to tell you something else. That Mighty Win I can watch every single time it's that a it comes It's a beautiful movie. Just, the I music think it's great is great. That you guys have the same exact opinion. That's perfect. It works out for the balance of this show. But to leave out uh, Best in Show? It's strong. I don't know. It's strong. I don't know, boys. And Eugene Levy's uh, work in Mighty Wind, where he did that song. I mean, in the middle of these crazy comedies, <laughs> and and those two are singing, him and Kathleen uh, uh, O'Hara are singing a song to each other, and then people start to tear up in a comedy, he should have gotten an Academy Award uh, nomination for that. Matter of fact, the song got the nomination, but I honestly thought that that was one of the uh, greatest of all time. Now, uh, going back to SCTV, really one of the greatest casts of all time, and I just found this out recently, uh, I mean, Rick Moranis was on that show, John Candy, Dave Thomas, Eugene Levy, Martin Short, Andrea Martin, Jeez. Catherine O'Hara, uh, Joe, um, what the hell's his name? Joe Flaherty. Brilliant, brilliant cast. And Fez, you didn't watch the, the show? I've never seen an episode of SCTV. You know, not only would you have loved this, but that was like the exact age for you. When that came out, when you were like, would have been perfect for it. Uh, I went even to look some stuff up, and it was on. It was put up there. It was because it played on Channel Forty Four in your old hometown, and that little Forty Four logo was up. SCTV, brilliant for me. It was always. I saw the Pythons, Saturday Night Live, and SCTV as being that seventies and eighties just. Hammer, hammer of comedy. And after that, Kids in the Hall and then the state, when you had those big groups of guys playing out. But I don't think that you would be able to uh, go back over comedy and leave SCTV out. Um, came out almost the same time as Saturday, the first Saturday Night Live. And um, for whatever reason, 
didn't get the same push in this country. But if you look what has a better shelf life, it's interesting. Because I think without the fact that they could be so much more subtle and not sit around and just play to the audience and not have the same catchphrases, I think in in many, many ways, um, a lot more brilliant than SNL and has a lot longer um, shelf life. All right, we will uh, break here. Uh, many thanks to everybody uh, yesterday. A lot of great stuff went up on the iBang, and we get that from you guys. Um, we will be breaking here and heading into uh, an unmasked, which is going to be cool. Right back after that to take your phone calls. Uh, we'll be right back with unmasked. Eugene Levy, it's the Ron and Fez Show. This is the Ron and Fez Show. Ron and Fez. Eugene Levy, everybody, let him hear it. <laughs> wow, thank you very much. This is, I had to look behind me to see. <laughs> We're actually walking down the hall, and Eugene says, live audience, huh? He had no idea. That exactly what we were doing uh, here today. I I I ha- I've, I've been just pumping coffee myself <laughs> this morning. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's hard. You know, these things yeah. are kind of after like you know three days. You kind of and they and, and you have kind of late nights and you start early in the morning and you know by day three or day four, you know you're you're you know you're kind of so I'm not I'm not necessarily all there when you're talking to me. <laughs> you know, out in the hall, but hopefully uh, hopefully I'm here. Now. This is where you turn it on. This is where it all starts to happen. This is it. This is where the money is. Right here. <laughs> well, you're doing the new uh, Tyler Perry, uh, which is witness protection is the name of it. Yeah. And this, uh, I think Tyler Perry is so interesting because he kind of invented his own audience. That this audience kind of never really existed. He uh, created. He's a yeah. one. He's like a one man. Well, what I mean, one of the one of the things that that attra- that uh, that that I got excited about was the, the getting a chance to work with Tyler Perry. Is this all good? Do I am I far enough away? Close enough to the yeah? Mic? You're fine. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. He is. He started. I mean, in the last fifteen, ten, fifteen years. I mean, he has come from, like. You know, just, you know, kind of like uh, being an unemployed person right. to being one of the greatest, you know, one of the biggest icons in the uh, in the uh, entertainment business. He's a one-man industry. I mean, we shot the movie at the Tyler Perry Studios in Atlanta. He's, he's, he's a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. And he is, um, he's an amazing, <clears throat> he's an amazing talent because these characters are brilliant characters. Medea and Uncle Joe, these characters that he has created, and he's also an, a, just a brilliant businessman. He yeah. and and uh, in, in in and a filmmaker, businessman and filmmaker combined, because he knows how to not spend money frivolously. <laughs> right. He, we shot this movie in sixteen days. I've never done that, you know, in my life. I've been on, it was originally a 20-day shoot, and I've done tw- movies in 20 days. I think we did Waiting for Guffman in 20 days and maybe Best in Show in 20 days. And, you, you're, you know, you're moving quickly and you have some long days. We did this in 16. He actually shaved four days off the schedule because he moves so fast. He knows exactly what he wants, what he needs, what he doesn't need. And if he doesn't need it, he doesn't shoot it. Mm. 
you know? So, so is there a lot of improvisation in it as well, though? Or? Yeah. 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 But I didn't know that at the time. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I really didn't because I've never worked with him before. I right. didn't know. I didn't know what the what the whole vibe was on you know on on the set. Uh, and when I got the script, oddly enough, it was you know my part was written pretty straight in the thing, which which I found very appealing. I th I thought, well, this is this is I I found it exciting. I thought, well, this is good. I don't mind playing the straight man to. Tyler, mm -hmm. I, I think it's kind of a novel thing for me, and very, very. Thank you. You know, this little coffee. Thank for you. you. My little, my little coffee got delivered, <laughs> uh, and I found that kind of intriguing. Uh, but when we started shooting, uh, I found out that he, you know, after like the say, and he only does one or two takes, and then you just kind of move on. And he would say, "All right, this time, just good, just, just kind of, you know, go crazy, just go nuts, just like." Uh, uh, you're for you're afraid to go to jail, and you, what's going to happen to your family? And oh my God! And what 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 about this? What about that? Nothing was written in the script along those lines. So we and and so we did it, and it really kind of blew the scene open comedically. And I thought, oh, this is the way yeah. he's doing it. The the script is like a blueprint, mm. and that's a comfortable place for you always, of course, right? You well, yeah, I, I love it. I love well for a number of reasons. One, I love working that fast. Because mm -hmm. I don't like doing stuff over and over and over and over and over again. You know, some 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 directors they'll you know they'll shoot twenty takes on something, and by the time you hit twenty, you know, the eighteenth take, you're kind of sick of the scene. Right, nothing's you know, fun. and nothing's funny at that and point. Show, nothing's funny, <laughs> including yourself. Uh, so I love working uh, that fast. I really mm -hmm. do. Uh, and and um, and the idea that it was as loose as it was. Where he encourages people to improvise and go off book just made it incredibly fun. But I think the interesting thing, too, is since he has this audience, this kind of middle-class black audience that doesn't really go to any other films besides his, this is probably going to be, for a lot of people, the first time that audience has seen you. You'll be like a new, fresh face to them. Well... You know, believe it or not, that happened for me after bringing down the house. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In, in a big way. <laughs> no, I mean in a big way. Yeah. It was, uh, I, I, w I was really, <clears throat> you know, embraced, uh, you know, by, by, by the African-American audience. Uh, and before, before that movie, they didn't really have a clue as to who I <laughs> right. was. Because I don't think my, you know, my, my movies would have played, you know, right. Uh, for, for you know, for that for that crowd, but a after bringing down the house, it was it, it was amazing the response. Yeah, you know, it, just having a love affair with Queen Latifah. <laughs> uh, it's amazing what that will do. Uh, and and uh, and so this movie, I, I, mm. I again, you know, because I you know I I I love kind of uh, I love that audience, and I I kind of love the experience on bringing down the house, and this was an amazing storyline as well mm -hmm. uh for my family to be kind of go going in into Medea's house in a witness protection program kind of uh right. it it already just just the, the thought of it i thought okay well this is right. you know uh, well you're always looking for that uncomfortable mm -hmm. situation for your characters right you want to be the kind of fish I, that's water. what i like yeah <laughs> i i do it's that fish out of water thing and i you know i've i've had a 
I don't know. It, it's I don't find you know my whole career has been playing you know maybe not the sharpest pencils in the drawer. Right. But that's yeah. That's what I yeah. That's what I love. That's what I find kind of funny. I mean, to play a really you know smart, intelligence kind of you know devious kind of you know guy. I'm not sure I I, I yeah. necessarily get the the full comic potential there. And that's how most how that character was written for you in this film. You were going to be the inside trader. Now well, he said, yeah, he set up as the dupe. I mean, yeah. you know, although he doesn't know it, he's he's a guy who was kind of plucked out of the accounting department in a in a firm and made a CFO, and and with that came an enormous salary enormous salary so he now moved up to a you know the the big mansion in the in the country and he's got the job and his kids get spoiled and he's he's not around he's working all the time he's not with his family and and uh and you you, you know he doesn't realize that the reason he was put in that job was so he would never guess what's going on around him which was this entire ponzi scheme that his superior was Running. was pulling on the company but he's the guy that would be taking the fall because it's his division that the ponzi scheme was kind of created and you just jump for. into it and everything kind of changes around your personality but we said before you've always kind of worked that way and even before sctv when you were doing second city yeah. in uh in toronto you've always been surrounded by really good people it seems like when you look back, there's so many talented people yeah. that you just happen to work with. How was that luck or was that just people were gathering together at that time? You know, I think it was I think it was both. I mean, mm. it's like luck that they were there. But right. I think it was just people that were there at the time. My first my first uh, well, I mean, for me, it was even going back to going to school where I, you know, met my you know good friends like, you know, Marty Short uh who's like you know my mm. best friend today uh Ivan Reitman one of the you know I mean kingpins of yeah. Hollywood made some of the greatest his movies have made just billions of dollars so I I was associating with like just really great people when I was going to school my first job was 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 a godspell you know musical that opened in Toronto in 1970 uh two and that was my first job but in that cast uh Marty, me and Marty both mm -hmm. got into the show, but two kids from Hamilton, my hometown, Gilda Radner, Victor Garber, Andrea Martin, and Paul Schaefer was our musical director. <laughs> so that was that was those are the people in that group. Then I get into Second City uh, a couple of years after that with uh, again with Gilda. And then I meet John Candy and Danny Aykroyd and uh and you know, just yeah. some amazing people. Brian Murray. Um <clears throat> so uh I, I guess I've been kind of, you know, blessed along those lines uh, in a way. I mean and again with the Chris Guest movies, you know, an incredible uh, ensemble cast of fantastic yeah. uh actors. Um, so it's good to surround yourself with with like really good people. I mean, you know, my 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 hero as a kid was like Jack Benny, mm -hmm. and his whole secret was surrounding himself with really funny people. <coughs> In fact, he 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 got his laughs reacting to the laughs that his people got around him. Right. He didn't have the jokes; he just reacted <laughs> to the jokes. 
So I, I think I picked up a lot from him in terms of my reactive comedy because I love reacting off somebody else. And um, and you need good people. There and you to need that. good people yeah. to make it all work. But was there that feeling in the early seventies? You look around and there's all these great people. Mm-hmm. Did you kind of have the feeling of, hey, we're going to be the next big wave of comedy? Did you guys know it or feel it? No, or? we didn't even think. We just you know went to work and went home for dinner. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know we 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 weren't thinking in those terms. It's yeah. not like you know. W- w- I mean, I when we started our our. Uh, well, not even our television show. When we were doing theater, we were just, I mean, honestly, you're just, you can't believe you're getting a check every week. Mm-hmm. That's what it's about. So it just felt great to be working, and then, but you guys just keep going on to project to project. Yeah, well, you'd work with people, and you'd become, like, good good yeah. friends. I mean, you, th- those were, the, those people became your friends. So we we just had the greatest time, you know, hanging Hanging out, you know, I used to go, I mean, you know, we used to go to, like, back when we were doing theater, John, we'd go over to John Candy's, you know, for dinner, and John and his wife Rose, and, and, uh, and, uh, me, and my, uh, at that, at that time, I mean, I didn't get married till later, but my, you know, my girlfriend, so we, you know, four or five couples would go over to John's place for dinner, and, and, uh, you know, and and you have some pre-dinner drinks, and you're kind of hanging around, <laughs> and you know you get there at seven, and you're having some cocktails, and that's it. And then it's now nine o'clock, and you're having some cocktails, and 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 uh, around about ten thirty, you see John go in, and I see him putting a turkey in the oven. <laughs> I said, John, how many pounds is this bird? You know, no, 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 it's fine. It'll be cooked in no time. I said, but it's it's like a half hour a pound. How we end up eating at two 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 thirty in the morning. Yeah, and that's you know, but that, I couldn't do it now. Well, was there a ringleader to that whole gang? Was there somebody who said we've got to keep it together and we've got to, you know, stay? No, not really. It yeah. just we just kind of went from job to job. I mean, Second City Theater uh, led right into Second City Television, which right. became SCTV. So we, 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 you know, the group just kind of moved from the theater right into learning how to do a television show. And that's just like a, you know, when you look back at that cast, it's just a murderer's row. I mean, that's the 27 Yankees. There's so many great guys and girls in that cast. And at the time, you guys were kind of separate from everything else doing this, right? There wasn't. No, we were talk about separate. Yeah. We're shooting the show in Toronto and then in Edmonton, Alberta. Those are the two <laughs> cities we're shooting. So it's not like, you know, the SNL crowd when they started right. their show here in New York City <laughs> where the show becomes a hit and now you've got New York City at your feet. You know, we we kind of went in, did our work and went home and had dinner. We didn't even we didn't even know anybody was watching the show. Right. I mean, it, it never, our thing was that we're having a fun job writing and doing the show, and we're getting paid for it. I mean, we, we, we didn't think about ratings. We didn't think about, in our second year, the show got syndicated, because we started out in our very first year, it was a half-hour local show in Toronto. In our second year, I think we got syndicated to about 40 cities in, in, in uh, the United States. And even then, we didn't realize people were watching the show until these reviews started coming in from different publications and, you know, Dallas newspapers. And we're thinking, oh, my God, they're watching. <laughs> Dallas. They're watching in Dallas? <laughs> they're, wa- they're watching us in Dallas? 
Um, so then, and then it just kind of grew. And by the time we went on to NBC and the show became a 90-minute show, um, we we knew we were onto something, but mm. it was still kind of a cult thing. It still never never hit in a huge way the right. way SNL did. Well, SNL, kind of, I guess, was already in that spot of of everybody was watching, everybody was talking about the journalists were on it. But if you look back at those two shows now, the difference, because they're doing a live show. Absolutely. And they're kind of swinging this big hammer. Yeah. And you guys were so subtle, so subtle on SCTV. Well, we could afford to be subtle because, number one, we weren't live. So Mm -hmm. we, you know, we, and I much prefer that. I mean, I much prefer playing to a camera than to a live audience. Uh, <laughs> if, if everyone uh, could just leave right now, it'd be great. Uh, but uh, so that that that's the difference. They're doing a live show every week, and the pressure involved there is just enormous. We didn't have that pressure. We we had a writing chunk. Mm-hmm. You know, our schedule was we had like maybe six weeks to start writing the shows, and then we would start taping the shows, and then you. You know, the shows are edited, and you do your post-production, and really, the inmates were running the asylum on our show. There was no producer telling us what to do and what not to do, editing our stuff. There was no studio telling us what to do, and we want to see the scripts before they go on air. None of that happened. So, the great—and that would never happen today, anywhere, I don't think— so that that was the great thing about our show. So we were able to nurture and nurse these shows till they— uh, till they got on the air, and and uh, you could afford to be kind of subtle. You can afford to be subtle playing to a camera, mm-hmm. than you can to a to a to an audience. Which is why, like sitcoms that are performed in front of an audience, always tend to have the comedies elevated bigger because you're playing to the crowd, mm-hmm. and if you're not getting a laugh, the line's going to be cut. Yeah, it's gone. that's how they judge whether yeah. something's working on a sitcom. You know, they they what how the live audience is reacting to the show, and if something's not getting a laugh, then it, I guess it's not working. They don't trust the fact that you know it may be working at home on your TV screen. It's just maybe not playing to the crowd. So I I preferred the subtlety of just working playing to a camera. Well, I think the thing that always worked for you and that show, and I, I think still now is that beat of uncomfortability that comes after something doesn't work. So your character, of course, is not the hippest guy in the world, tries a joke, and the funny part of it is the joke is uncomfortable, and then you'll just leave it there for that beat and a half. It's just hysterical. Oh, we did things on our show we could never do on a live (laughs) show. I mean, I took, especially as the show went on, like uh, I remember once trying to do... Again, because I was influenced by Jack Benny. Uh, how long a take I could do in the middle of a scene. Like how long I could hold. A take. And I did it as the uh, as our we, we were doing these two newscasters on our show, uh, Earl and Floyd. And I was doing it as that newscaster... Earl, when Floyd says something, and I kind of react to it, and I held the take for over a minute. <laughs> now, you couldn't, I don't think that would, you couldn't do that on SNL. Right. You know, so it was something that you could do when you're actually, 
you know, shaping the scene yourself. Mm-hmm. You can actually build it around there. And you know what? Just go for it. Nobody was telling us we couldn't. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, something that you did on that show that was like amazing to me, and Marty does this too, was is that poking fun at show business. Like when you would do uh, Bobby Bittman, it was the first time I'm like, okay, you can work and kind of have some kind of success, and it's still embarrassing at the end of the day. Some of the stuff that you did with that character, I think, changed what people could get away with in kind of mainstream Vegas comedy it became that after that yeah we just we were enamored with the with show business <laughs> at that time and now we're still enamored with <laughs> you it, are. except we're in it uh but but we were kind of enamored with it we we and that's see that character the sammy maudlin right. show for those who you know remember <laughs> um it was a talk show loosely modeled on on uh sammy davis jr when he had his talk show um and the and we we started that scene when we when we took second city theater to pasadena one year i i think it was 1975 and we improvised that scene originally on stage uh the modeling show and then i play this comic uh, who kind of, you know, crashes the show <laughs> behind the other guests. And uh, then the host says, oh, my goodness, look who's here. It's funny man Bobby Bidman. And the Bidman character was kind of modeled, again, after the comics that I grew up watching, the Shecky Greens mm-hmm. and, you know, the Alan Kings and the those those classic Vegas comedians. Um, so, you know, aping show business was kind of... Um, was kind of a fun thing right. to do, <clears throat> um, and 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 I guess parodying television because that was the that was originally what we started out doing. Second City was, of course, a satirical review in the theater, right. and when we started our show, they wanted to keep that satirical edge. That satirical edge kind of we we kind of got away from that over the years, and it became more a character comedy show where the the char- the comedy revolved more more around the characters than it did around right. satire but in the beginning it was kind of uh you know satirical and by the time we finished the show i i kind of realized that you know parody itself is not it's not the greatest thing in the world it's mm. not it's kind of easy it's really easy to <clears throat> look at a a, a a a piece of work or a body of work or a show or a movie or a TV show that happens to be not your cup of tea right. and kind of just poke pins in it and you get your laughs basically poking pins in in the the creation that somebody actually created. Yeah. You're not creating anything by doing parody. <laughs> You're just saying, you know, I, I don't like this. I'm going to poke some pins in it. And then you get laughs doing that. Yeah. But it's not really, uh, you know. But it's, I think it's, I think it is something that young people probably should be doing <clears throat> first, don't you think? Like they almost should be looking behind them and going, what don't I want to be? Because that's one of the, the things, like the modeling show, the fact that people were actually doing that stuff for real yeah. earlier in the day, and then you were showing. Oh yeah, well night. listen, Sammy Davis is one of one of the great yeah. talent. I mean, he was in one of those enormous talents in the business. I mean, he was a great singer. He was a great dancer. He was funny. He could do it all. But when he had his talk show, 
really he would bring a guest on and then just say well ladies and gentlemen you know this this man you we know how talented he is as a performer but nobody knows the charitable work that he does behind the scenes and he gets he he does not do it for money he does not do it for acclaim he just does it because it's right here. It's who he is. And and so that was the premise of right. the Sammy Maudlin show. Everything was just so maudlin. Um, uh, so that's, that's uh, you know, but the, that the, had to be attacked, I think. Yeah. Yes. But then it also, in a way, it's almost kind of attacking the audience because there would be jokes that would do well with that audience. I remember your thing of you had the hello thing and then the phone. Giant phone. The giant sure. phone. Hello. And then yes. you turn and show the phone to the audience so that they could enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. As it, he always had to let people know where the joke was. You know? It's it's he he was the he was definitely, you know, I did I did a, um, I, I guess a thing in after SCTV, uh, a little special on that character. It was called the Enigma of Bobby Bittman, mm-hmm. and he was an enigma because he was like a Vegas comedian who was could not have been less funny, <laughs> you know, but thought he was the funniest thing since <laughs> right. sliced bread, and and again kind of modeled his personal side after. Uh, after I, I, Jerry Lewis, I think it was a was a big influence uh, on the personal side of the character of Bobby Bittman because Jerry Lewis, who I grew up adoring when I was a kid, there was nobody funnier than than Jerry Lewis. Martin and Lewis movies, and when he went off on his own in 1957, when they split from mm-hmm. Dean Martin, and he delicate delinquent, it was his first solo movie, and I just I loved Jerry Lewis. But his personal side was extremely serious, yeah. you know, and he would kind of, you know, philosophize and just tell people what his what his theory of life is. And, and, and anyway, I use that as, as the character, but but a great character to do. And I did that character about last year, last November, for the first time in a long time with Catherine O'Hara, who reprised her Lola Heatherton <laughs> character. And we yeah. did it for a benefit in Toronto. And the two of us, uh, you know, got on stage. And it was actually great fun, you know. So while you guys are, are doing SCTV, the SNL guys you knew before, most of those people you knew before they started doing SNL. Yeah. And then you're watching this explode for them you guys are doing a cult did it feel somewhat competitive did it feel well, I'll like... tell you how not competitive it was when the when the I was doing I was working uh, I think I, I I had left the second city stage but I went back to help them out because some of the cast members who were doing the show in Toronto at that time uh, were going on vacation so I said well I'll go in and fill in for the guys that are going on vacation so there were like three or four guys and I I did the show for like four Four weeks, so I was working the Second City uh, on the Second City stage the night the first Saturday Night Live aired, and we had a like a television. We asked them to bring a television in and put it in backstage, um, and we had this grainy little horrible television, kind of black and white television that got the first Saturday Night Live show because we. Uh, because we knew Gilda Radner, we'd mm-hmm. worked with Gilda. She was a good friend, and it was and it was a big show. So we were doing our stage show. Meanwhile, couldn't wait to get off stage. Couldn't wait to wrap up the scene. So you know, we'd run back, and then 
and 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 watch these guys. And we knew Danny, Dan mm-hmm. Aykroyd, and and you know we we and every time they came on, we said, "Oh, they're there. That's Gilda. That's Gilda. That's Gilda." You know. And then you're on. You're on. You've got a cue. <laughs> there, what you know. So yeah. then we had to race back on stage and do the show. So we were very very excited for them. And when the show became big, it was, you know. It was. It, I mean, it was great for them. We didn't yeah. feel, we didn't feel, you know, envious or anything like that. I mean, quite honestly, if it hadn't been for Saturday Night Live, there wouldn't have been an SCTV, uh-huh. be- because it was uh, Bernie Sollins who who ran Second City, who owned Second City Theater. Saturday Night Live really was was built on two foundations. One was Second City, and the other was National Lampoon. And Bernie, who ran Second City, said, uh, and he kind of, uh, and, and he's still with us. He lives in Chicago. doesn't doesn't own the theater anymore. But he said, "Well, they're 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 taking all their people. They're taking all their people, and they're, and they're making a big hit out of it. We 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 should take some of our people and do our own show. We should do our own Second City show. And that's how SCTV kind of started. We got together and came up with a an idea for the show." Well, what a just a perfect storm though of performers, young performers though. Like the Lampoon guys is where guests came out of, and it's just yeah. so many great people. And then that's still kind of the wave of performers today. I mean, everybody from those classes oh, still working. Uh, uh, they 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 go to Second City for they they well certainly SNL goes looks for stand up comics mm-hmm. and and Second City uh, improvisational you know. Uh, people, Tina Fey, and all, all those great people that came out of Second City uh, over the years, uh, g- going on Saturday Night Live. So there is a there is a great influence there. I guess the combination of of um, of improvisation and stand up are, are really what they you know yeah. what they go for when they're casting. Well, for you, you you went from the theater into the show and a long run with both of them. But when that was over and you started doing movies, did that feel like you were, you know, unanchored for a while? I mean, just now going out into Hollywood? I always feel unanchored. <laughs> uh, I, I, the, sh- the show kind of ended, uh, and it was the great, the great, the most fun I've ever had in my life. We did have a ball doing that show. It was, it was a great, and we knew it was a good show. I mean, mm-hmm. to, you know, by the last three years, when we did our 90 minute shows, we could look at them and say, wow, this, you know what? This is really good. It, mm-hmm. it is a really good show. I don't care who's watching. Um, and when that ended, it just, you go on and do other things. I mean, I, I remember we, we kind of used the influence of of SETV. I went on and did uh, uh, another thing with John Candy. Did a lot of stuff with John Candy. Yeah. We did uh, the last polka. We took our two uh, polka characters, uh, the Schmengi brothers, and uh, did a special for HBO. And I did the the Bitman character in a Cinemax special. And you know there there was always that SETV kind of influence. Um, and going down to do movies. Movies were just a um, I don't know something that was kind of a different experience. Mm-hmm. You know, it it seemed kind of less creative because you're just in there doing a doing a role, and there's right. a lot of waiting around, and it just seemed like you know didn't have as much uh, spark going for it. But that's uh, you know that's that's what we did. And over the years, um, I did you know some movies, and then started directing because I thought, boy, this is kind of acting is. There's a lot of downtime, you know. You're just hanging around a lot while they're lighting the set, and 
So I, I, I started directing uh, and got into that for a while. I was excited. And then I got to a point where, you know, I'm talking to, you know, the camera guys about filters and uh, what filter? We can do the H38 filter, which uh, gives you a nice uh, diffusion over the uh, over the light. And, I, my, and I, meanwhile, I'd be looking at the actors on the set just laughing over by the, by the coffee machine. And I'm listening. I'm, I'm, listen, I'm talking about filters with the, with the thing. And, and I'm, I'm saying, you know what? I'd kind of rather be over there, <laughs> you know, having having some laughs. So I, I I started to get back into the 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 acting thing again, and um, you know, did some. Um, I, I, I listen. I, I've been I've been really lucky. I've this is my this uh, this is my fifty ninth movie, the Medea movie. Wow, that's amazing. Well, I when you think about it, yeah. It's like, you know, there's a lot, a lot of movies under the bridge. Yeah, it is. Uh, the one that really hit for you and I think got you a whole new audience was the American Pie thing. And that should have been a kind of a character that didn't matter. I don't even think you had a name, right? Jim's dad was the only name on the script. That's it. So that <laughs> that, yeah. that should have been a guy who came in, now, did you know, something, and left. You know what the funny thing is? People still today just look and go, Jim's dead. <laughs> hey, Jim's dead. Yeah. That's the character's name, yeah. Jim's dad. Uh, that was, uh, yeah, that, that, that was big. Quite honestly, I thought I was doing okay up until American Pie. I was mm -hmm. working. I, 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 I was doing, you know, a lot of... Uh, uh, Movies. I, I was busy. Never had to take an outside job to support my career. Yeah. Um, so that's something. I thought I was doing okay. American Pie came along. Here's the thing about American Pie. Funny story. Well, <laughs> I guess you'll be the judge, huh? <laughs> I was doing a movie at the time, and then I get the script. And my man, and my my manager gives me the script and says, uh, "You you should look at this. It's a it's a funny movie, and you're the only adult in the movie." And it's, I, I said, "Okay." <laughs> so I'm reading this script, which was the American Pie script. I get like 20 pages into it, and I'm, I'm you know first you know the the first scene is you're you're walking in on your son who's got a <laughs> tube sock on it, right? <clears throat> Watching a porn film, and then you know and then you're at a, a, a you know at a, some some party, and some some guys doing a thing into a beer, and somebody's <laughs> drinking, and I'm I'm reading this, and I'm going, I can't do this, <laughs> I can't do this. This is like this is real. I called him up. I said, you know what? I can't. I'm going to pass on this. I can't do it. I think you should go in and take a meeting. Why would I take a meeting? Because I think you should take a meeting. I, you know, I six uh, 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 the, uh, uh, the the what was that? The uh, original uh, movie. The oh my god, with Ray Walston. Um, you know, night. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. So he kept saying, "Well, look what it did for Ray Walston in, the, in that movie. It was a, it was a gr great thing for for his career." I'm saying, "Yeah, but this is too. It's really raunchy. This is like, why would I go to? I wouldn't even go and see this movie." You know, I mean, why would I want to be in? Why would I want to be in a movie? I wouldn't go and see. It doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, and he kept saying, "Go, go, just take a meeting, take a meeting." So I go. I finally take a meeting. I meet these two brilliant young guys, Paul and Chris Weitz, uh, who ended up directing <clears throat> the movie. And immediately, I realized these guys are really smart. 
these are really smart guys, and they had a great sense of comedy about them. And that, so we talked about the script. I said, I don't know. It's kind of rough, and I don't like the part. I really don't like the role of the father as as written. I, you know, well, what don't you like? I don't know. I don't know. It's just written kind of crass. It's there's a crassness to it. It's a it's a guy who wants to be kind of nudge nudge wink wink with his son, but. You know, I, 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 well, what would you change? I said, I, I would change everything. I, I don't like it. <laughs> so they said, they said, well, tell, tell you what, we're shooting like in a week this Saturday. Why don't you come in? We'll get this young kid, Jason Biggs, and we'll come in and you, you can go through the scenes and we'll just improvise. Do, do, take it in a direction that you want, which is what we did. We went in and we improvised all these scenes. And as we're doing it, it was coming to life for me. We were funny. Everybody was laughing, and I and I and I was saying, "Well, this is good," because now the character is who I want him to be. He's like mm-hmm. a he's like a dad. He's not the he, he doesn't he doesn't want to be a friend to mm-hmm. his son. He just wants to be a dad, doing the right thing, and being very supportive. That that's what I wanted to change the character too. So we went in and 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 I I did the movie now. I was working on a movie at this time called American Pie. While American Pie, which at that time was called East Great Falls High, <laughs> was being shot. So American Pie had to rework their schedule. And it was kind of an indie film, independent film. So they had to rework their schedule a little bit so they could allow me to go out for the maybe the three days that it took for me to go in and shoot uh, East Great Falls High. And, of course, when they went for the title American Pie, the big American Pie film with Universal behind them got the name (laughs) from Don McLean, whose song American Pie they had to get the name from, and, and the other film had to change the title of their picture. So I think, too, the reason that kids... I think kids love that character so much as they are looking for that dad too. Don't you think that that's a big part of why Jim's dad worked out so? You know, well? I I think there, I I I mean I know, when when kids would come up and and you know and I'd hear things like oh I wish my dad was like that. Mm-hmm. I think there I think he was the he was the kind of father that to be honest I learned a little from the character myself mm. as a father. You know, just just in how far you have to go to be supportive of your kids it's really easy when your kid does something wrong just to say all right what happened now what happened now who did you think you were you were fooling by getting away with that and why did you and why did you go on that man's property well why would you instead of doing that just you know i mean just to be just to kind of take their side a little bit first without before you even question what's going on just be on their side first and then kind of sort it out. So um, it, it was. I, I think kids did react to the character in that sense. That he he just seemed like the totally supportive kind of kind of dad. He walks in on his son. His son's got problems. He's kind of you know humping a baked good. <laughs> you know, instead of freaking out, saying you know what are you doing? What do you think you're doing? Your mother baked that today, and we were going to have it for dinner. Instead of going that route. <laughs> He says, all right, as a father, what did I do to screw up here? What have I done? What have I done to put my son in this situation? Did I not give him the proper birds and bees speech? I screwed up, and I, now I've got to kind of rectify the situation, which he tries which he tries to do. 
And right after mm-hmm. that is when you and Christopher Guess uh, first. Yeah, very, to. very, very close. In fact, Waiting for Guffman happened before American Pie. Is that right? Yeah, ni- I think 1997 was uh, Waiting for Guffman. Mm-hmm. And ninety, I think we did American Pie in 99 so or 98. You've got these two things kind of running parallel to each other at that point where you're doing one and then the other back and forth. We kind of, yeah, yeah. We, we, over the next few years, we would we would kind of, you know, go we in between pie films. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd be doing the, the, the movies with, uh, with Chris, and that was an amazing experience, too. And you're you're actually writing with him. You're writing the character. Writing, writing, yes, writing everything. Writing everything in the sense that we're writing a a detailed outline. Chris had done Spinal Tap mm-hmm. with Rob Reiner and and you know and his guys, Michael McKean and Harry Shearer. <clears throat> so he knew what the vibe was to these movies. Spinal Tap was a movie I saw when I was when I when I was younger. I guess mm-hmm. when did that come out? 84. So we were still kind of finishing up SCTV. When that movie came out, I was so envious. Sure. I was so envious of everybody in that movie. It was the funniest movie I had ever seen. And I'm looking at my friend Paul Schaefer and I'm thinking, <laughs> he's not even an actor and he's in it. <laughs> he's he's acting in the movie and he's not even an actor. He's a musician. How did he get this thing? Um so I lo- I loved it. Chris knew what the vibe of that movie was. So when he when he when he when he called me and that's a, that's a whole other story because I didn't really know Chris. Before he uh, called you? He... No, no, never, never. I had worked with him maybe a couple of times, not with him, on mm-hmm. the same project as him. But I was a huge fan of Chris Guest going back to the National Lampoon days. Yeah. I would listen to the National Lampoon records, and I would I would think, and I knew Gilda was doing it, and Bill Murray was doing it, and, and you know, and, and, you know, Ackroyd and Paul Schaefer. Uh, this group, and I was kind of envious of that, but I would listen to this voice, this voice, this character voice on these records going, who is that? That is absolutely brilliant. This guy is insane. Insanely brilliant. And then I found out his name was Chris Guest, so I was a, I was a Chris Guest fan. Mm. And then I got a chance to work with him on a, you know, the thing, the, the Billy Crystal special or uh, whatever it was. And I wasn't working with him, but I made sure I was on set watching him work. And, you know, he drew a crowd when he when he was working. So um, but um, but he was kind of an, he was kind of a strange guy in the sense that, you know, if you I'd, I'd see him in the morning and I'd say, you know, good morning, Chris. How are you doing? And he kind of look at me and go. How am I doing? <laughs> I guess I'm uh, doing fine. And I think, what? <laughs> what? So it was like, wow, wow, he's kind of a little strange. And so cut to 10 years, whatever it is, later in the mid-90s, and I get a phone call from you know Chris, who said, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of an idea for a movie. Do you want to work on it with me? I'm thinking, does he have the right levy? <laughs> um uh, I said, you know, <clears throat> sure, uh, sure. Let's let's see. And I and I was nervous about it, you know, because I didn't know him. And I'm thinking, boy, just just to be in a in a just in a room with a guy, somebody you don't know, even though you're you're a fan and he's brilliant, <clears throat> it's an uncomfortable thing for me. I'm not, you know, I'm I'm you know, it, it, 
kind of like uh, you know, may, may, but that's a different story. You know, me and my shrink. But uh, <clears throat> so we started working on this thing, and right off the top, right off the top, it was great. It was we 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 we. He had me laughing. I had him laughing. And we we worked at a you know little place that he that he had out in the kind of the country somewhere you know up in up in the northwest a little kind of cabin, and, <laughs> just the two uh, of you guys, just, just the two of us, wow. and um, and it was the, it was just just great. We we had a chemistry. We we finished each other's thoughts. We uh, the the relationship was great. The only thing I did was um, on the first day. Uh, I, we spent the morning pitching ideas and 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 whatever, and then we took a break, and he had the writing pad, and uh, so I t- I just kind of picked up the pad and looked at it, and it just looked like a couple of little scribble marks. <laughs> That's it. After three hours of pitching things, this is what you got. I said, you know what? Here's the thing. I have the pad from here on in. Yeah, <laughs> which is what it, which is right. what I did for the rest of it. I had the pad, um, and you're known hmm. though as a like I think one of the reasons why he called you're always known as a disciplined hmm. writer. I mean you're you know, and even when you were talking about being envious, uh, it was of work. Well, not let of let, me, let me just jump in because it, it is an interesting thing. I, I I always assumed the reason he called me was because he called four other people that he knew because he didn't yeah. know me. <laughs> That he must have called four other people, maybe mutual friends that we both had, that he knew, that said, no, I can't, I'm not available, I'm, I can't work on it because I'm doing another job. And maybe somebody said, well, what about this guy, Eugene Levy, you should call him because he's, you know, whatever. And that's my, that was my assumption. And I never found out until I think we were finished shooting uh, A Mighty Wind or close to and, and in the shooting, and it just... And I asked him one day, I said, Chris, why did you call me in the beginning when we were doing Waiting for Guffman? I mean, why Why did you call me? Was Did somebody, did somebody who did you call first? Uh, I called you first. I said, but why, why did you call me? You didn't, he said, well, I, I, I was a big fan of your television show and of your work in particular on the television show. So I called you i said this is somebody i'd want to work with i said oh man why didn't i ask that in the very beginning <laughs> i always thought it was a fourth choice yeah well there's a amazing work that's come out of that the the films that you guys have done are beloved these are films that people are crazy about well, they're films that I'm crazy about. I, 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 again, it's like the inmates running the asylum. Nobody, nobody told us what to do. Nobody asked to see a script. The only thing they said was, "Here's your budget," which wasn't much. I mean, Guffman, we had maybe, maybe it was like a five million dollar budget. So Castle Rock, and uh, and Chris knew the guys at Castle Rock. Of course, Rob Reiner, you know. So they knew what the what what this, you know. And basically, Chris said, you know, well, I want to do another Spinal Tap. I want to do another comic documentary. Uh, they said, as long as you keep it under five million dollars, do what you want, you know. But mm. don't go over five million. But you know, <laughs> when when studios spend a lot of money and they have a lot of money invested, they want to know exactly what they're spending their money on. If you keep it, if, if you keep it to a to a, a a number that they know, 
already they're at a break-even point. I mean, mm. the, you know, at this at this number here, it'll go out in in a select number of theaters, and they'll make some money. And then they got the DVDs, and then they get so they're going to be they're going to make some money, or they're going to break even, but they're not going to lose money. Mm. So we were left alone, and it was and it's just the best way to work. It really is because you do you write what you want, you hire who you want. And you put the movie together the way you want it, and nobody's telling you, you know, what to. We would get little suggestions from some of the, you know, the execs the, uh, that that would kind of wander into the office, look at the cards on the board, you know, ask where you are in the story. And sometimes they would make a suggestion, what if this scene was over here, what if this scene was in there? And then, you know, we'd kind of look, and then they'd say, yeah, but, I mean, we're, I'm just throwing it out. It's not a thing. Do what you want. Um, and that, these things must change hmm. so much from what you guys do because then you let the actors improvise. So, yeah. what th- we do is we yeah. write we write an outline that is that is kind of a detailed outline. Became more detailed as we went along. Uh, we every scene is laid out in terms of story. You got It's not like a free for all where people can just go in and and improvise. You've got a story. Characters have their little, you know, if, if there's any kind of, you know, character arc. for Everything's got to be laid out in the scenes. So all the information is there in the scenes. And this is information that the characters have to say to keep the story moving the way it should be moving. We just don't tell them how to say it. Mm. We don't write the dialogue for it. We just give them the information. And if we came up with funny jokes that we thought, oh, this would be a funny joke, we would write it in as a joke. Um, and if it's funny enough, we would say, but we'd like you to use this joke. But we we, we never really said, use it. Mm. Use it if you want to use it. And we would write much more character background stuff than you would find in a normal screenplay. In a normal screenplay, you'd get, you know, uh, a... Uh, uh, a uh, salesman, and then bracket, uh, 30s, <laughs> comes into the room. That's about it. We would, we, would, we would explore each character, as we did in the office, when, when we're developing the characters. And we would give all the characters the backgrounds, you know, where, where, they, where they went to school, what their jobs were, what books they wrote, what, what, whatever it was. We would title everything, la-di-da-di-da, and we'd lay it out so that the actors... We gave them enough meat on the bone so that they had something to improvise with, and and a lot of times their their improvising was using the information we provided. A lot of times, they just came in with their own stuff, which was absolutely brilliant. Well, you know, you, you guys use a lot of the same actors all the time, and everybody's together, but we never really know going into this who's going to be the lead and. Who's going to be supporting? Do you know that before you get to it? Does one character become stronger? No, no, no. We, the know, we know. We know that when it. we're when when yeah. we're we, when we're when we're kind of uh, you know writing it, um, and it and it's a good way to work. It's it's good to know, and it's funny. You know, our our little group kind of grew from from movie to movie. Every time yeah. we added somebody, they became a staple in 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 the in the next picture. Waiting for Guffman, there was just uh, I think like four of us or five of us. You know, Bob, mm. Fred Willard, myself, Catherine O'Hara, uh, Bob Balaban, um, and Chris. Uh, and then Best in Show, we expanded a little bit. And it's always good to know who you're writing for. 
it makes it so easy to write when you get your, your character in mind and say, oh, this would be, oh, she could play, Jennifer Coolidge could play this character. That would be great. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you kind of, you, you, you kind of carve out your, your story. When we were going through the, um, when we were doing, uh, writing, um, A Mighty Wind, uh, and we were, again, developing characters, and we were developing the Mitch and Mickey characters as the sweethearts of the folk music uh, world. <laughs> and at one point we said, well, they you know, their first song was a, uh, as the sweethearts of the folk music world, was a song where they they kiss at the end of the song, you know? And that, and that made them the sweethearts of the folk music world. Uh, world, and the more we explored that and got into it, we 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 realized, well, if if that was what made them a hit, and they're coming back for a reunion <clears throat> after a horrible divorce, and and this guy, uh, you know, uh, and they never t- talked to each other after that, and he went into a complete tailspin and. Went into these sanatoriums and 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 lost his mind and and became a vegetable and just like you know popping pills and who knows what what is is are they going to kiss? Would they do that? So what happens when they do that song and the kiss became their signature? Are they going to be able to kiss again? And you know we and we said, wow, this sounds like it's the story of the movie, mm. you know. And that's how things kind of, you know, took shape in a way. And we sat there and we thought, well, if they, well, that's there's nothing funny about that, you know? There's nothing funny about it, but we were kind of really drawn to it in a strange way that, you know, can we go with something that not funny in a comedy movie and make it work? And it was kind of a dangerous thing. Well, if if we don't have the audience just before that moment... We're really going to be lying flat there at the end if the if they don't really care whether they kiss or whether they don't kiss. Yeah. Uh, but we went with it because we thought this is an interesting area to go in to 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 actually you know kind of take it that seriously. But it was a great write. The whole writing process with Chris kind of was, um, and, and in doing those movies, uh, that's that's kind of how we uh, that's kind of how we worked. And really, it was just creating characters that were you know real and totally fleshed out so that what you saw on the screen were characters that were real and characters that you actually cared about well there's a sweetness to that that not only do you not see in in most in your comedies but and most comedies don't go as far as you guys went with that moment that was really really touching but i think that's why people love those films so much because i think that you guys give the audience more credit than other filmmakers are doing now that the audience can show up and become involved yeah i i we don't like to broadcast the jokes it's mm. like you don't want to hold up your card saying joke here yeah you know you let the, let them let them figure it out one of the one of the things you you learn in second city as a great as a great training ground for you know for writing and performing was uh you know never first of all always write at the top of your intelligence level which was a great, I mean, it would seem like it's an obvious thing to do, but unless you actually hear it when you start these things, when you're creating a scene and improvising a scene, work at the top of your intelligence level. In other words, don't don't just do the cheap yeah. stuff, you know? Uh, so, uh, and never think you're smarter than your audience. 
So uh, do the stuff. Let the audience figure it out. If they get it, they get it. If they don't, they don't. That's how we did our television show. I mean, we had our, our producer would always come down and say, um, this 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 joke here, I don't, I don't think anybody's going to get it, you know? I don't think anybody's going to get it. And we said, well, we get it. We get it. We Yeah, but do you think the audience is going to find it funny? We find it funny. You know, we're really doing it for, for us. If other people get it, great. But we can't write for what we expect people to find funny. You have to write for what you find funny. And if people get it, great. If they don't, you're going to be in another line of work soon. You know, but at least you're doing what you want to do. You know, the thing is that you, you always do limited releases. The studio puts out limited releases with these films. And then they, you know, of course, DVDs or they make it the cable. And I know a lot of people who just watch popcorn movies but love these films. I honestly think that there's a much bigger audience than the studios even know for these Well, I, uh, you know, it's funny because when, when Best in Show, <clears throat> when we were doing Best in Show... And they said, well, yeah, we're going to put this back out in 500 theaters, same number of theaters as Waiting for Guffman. And I kept thinking, boy, this movie, I think, could play in 2,000 theaters. And it's not, and it's not because there's any, there's no stars in the movie. I mean, this, you know, this group was not, there were no stars in the movie. And I think the studio gets, they don't like putting out movies where you can't hang the movie on a, on a big name. But the fact that, it had dogs in it. <laughs> I mean, it's a movie. It's a movie about people and their dogs, a dog show, dog lovers. I think people would have gone to see this movie. If, if they had promoted it the way the Weinsteins yeah. promote their movies that, that, that you, you would... Th- I mean, look at the artist. I mean, my God. Yeah, he's done a phenomenal job. Who would have put that movie out? Yeah. Seriously. A black and white, silent movie... With French actors, no names, about a, a story told as a silent movie. Well, they get behind it and they just pound the crap out of it in promotion. You know, yeah. had the and that's how their 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 movies work. They believe in something and they go out and they sell it. And Best in Show could have played in. I agree, hundred percent. In in, in twenty five hundred theaters, and I think people would have, with the right promotion, would have gone to see it. But it's true; they play in limited amount of theaters. I think the reason it cuts through to some to some people, uh, certainly best in show, a lot of people. You know, the on the street, if people come up to me, there's only two movies they 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 talk about mostly american pie is one they'll go hey jim's dad hey jim's dad <laughs> or they'll go two left feet <laughs> and, and best in show you know is up there yeah, on sure. par with american pie even though american pie was in 2500 theaters and best in show was in 500 you know so they saw it on dvd or they saw it on tv over the years you know but they there's a lot of people out there that talk about it uh what's <clears throat> Next with you and Chris, we haven't uh, heard anything in a while. Well, we, you know, we, 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 Chris is actually doing a show right now, uh, developing a show uh, over in England. I think it's going to play over here, like, um, um, I think it's called Family Tree, a British family exploring their genealogy. Um, Interesting. We haven't, you know, the thing about it is to, to keep moving in a new, you know, direct, 
kind of an interesting direction. I get we did it with uh, Mighty Wind in in kind of going in, into sl- a slightly more serious vein. Um, um, uh, um, uh, what was the last uh, for your consideration? Uh, was kind of the same improvisational style, but not a documentary in a way. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a narrative, and that was a tougher way to go. Um, there's a reason these movies work as a documentary mm-hmm. because your your editing options are much Edits, greater. Yeah. yeah, in a documentary, you can jump cut. You can go. You can use that device to go from one kind of funny beat to another. But in a straight narrative form you really have to follow the narrative rules kind of so it's 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 kind of riskier and now that form that comic documentary form we don't use the word mockumentary because honestly we don't feel we're mocking anything uh in these movies but that form that that comic documentary form is now being used by everybody you know there's tv shows that that use it you know uh <clears throat> you know, The Office did it. Ricky Gervais did it. I think be- uh, uh, again uh, because he admired. <clears throat> excuse me. This is Spinal Tap, and those kind, those kind, and the in the movies that I did with Chris and his show was great. The Office, the British version. Yeah, sure. And he used that form beautifully, that kind of documentary form. Now, on shows over here, they don't use it properly they've kind of watered it down there's no point even like the fa- family uh what is it family uh the modern, modern, modern family, family yeah. you know funny show but it's that form you figure why do you need that form why do you have to use a documentary form you've got a funny show here you don't need it you don't need people talking to camera and it doesn't really look like a real documentary it's just the form is being used all over the place so to do a a comic document another comic documentary when when now everybody's doing it what what's going to move us in a forward direction and we just haven't we just haven't landed on that yet yeah but you know a lot of people mm. copied the beatles and so what you know what i mean we still have the beatles <laughs> and comedically you guys are the beatles you really are seriously oh, well that's it's phenomenal that, that's very nice i i uh i you know i i i think at some point we 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 will probably hit on something that will make sense to both of us to you know to do um we're we're still i mean we're we're still talking and and kind of like what about this idea yeah <laughs> uh, i don't know maybe you know we just haven't landed on that one thing where both of us go Wow, that would be good. Yeah. That would be good. That would be fun. Well, when you do, everybody's going to be here for it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Eugene Levy, what a pleasure. Wow. I'm standing here with you tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ron. Thank great. you. Thank you. Ron Bennington, Fez Wally. The Ron and Fez Show. More Ron and Fez next. She's a 
finished our unmask with Eugene Levy and the because Rob wants to do these live it just adds so much more stress and tension to you guys oh yeah I'm pouring sweat here running back and forth between studios phone calls making sure everything's working I saw Zito getting a face job from his supervisor <laughs> just laying him out in the lobby as I was getting Eugene and then Eugene also did not show up until, I don't know, a minute or two before. Yeah, And was very, like, crashed out where normally we would have given him time to get his coffee and stuff. Yeah, just settle him down. Get ready for the interview. He's like, what? Wait, there's an audience? Um, Ron, I normally uh, don't work, and I'm like, well, we're on, dude. It's going. Yeah. Let's do it. Come on. That's uh, not my normal <laughs> style, if you will. What a sweet, sweet guy. Awesome. Here's what I love. Uh, he still, at his age, and he's in his 60s now, still doesn't get it. Like, dude, you came in on this wave, and you've been riding the shit out of it, and it's great. Yeah, there is nothing overly cocky or confident or even feeling necessarily proud of it. Just it's just work to him. He has, yeah, he's happy he has steady work. And yeah. He just gets to you know, act and write. Yeah. It's fucking amazing. Well, it's really cool. He was really, really a sweet guy. And he's just, uh, you know, all the stuff that happened, he deserves. I uh, had no idea that. Uh, so bodies are going to be in there, physical um, yeah, Eugene. people. Yeah. I'm um, here to see you, Eugene. All those movies are just so great. Oh, God, yeah. Oh. Here's weird. Remember what we just went out with uh, when he was saying if the Weinsteins only... Pushed. Yeah. I just got an email just now from Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> I should try to hook them up. I could be the guy. You got it. Get them together and bam, it's on. Um, that's really cool. I just had some, I, he sent me a really nice, Weinstein sent me a really nice note. So I sent him something back no. of what I think that he should be doing, marketing-wise. <laughs> no, it's good. No, this is a really stupid thing, but he just mm -hmm. wrote back something nice again. Um, well, you couldn't get any bigger than that, could you? It's pretty gigantic, Eugene Levy coming in here. It's Eugene Levy stopping by is pretty, pretty cool. But what if you had the opportunity to have... I don't know, maybe the most iconic drummer in history, the one who was the drummer for, and still is, technically, the drummer for the greatest rock and roll band in the whole world. What if you could say, after Eugene Levy, we got Charlie Watts stopping by to talk about a brand new album. I would say it's greatest day ever. Uh, it is greatest day ever. <laughs> Speaking of which, no Dave today? He didn't... Uh... Because I know he wanted to try to get to see. Yeah, that was the word. I, I didn't see him. I, I, know. I have a feeling he didn't get out of Florida. <laughs> uh, Boogie Woogie is the album where Charlie Watts goes back 
and plays jazz. This is about as cool as you can possibly get that we've got uh, Charlie Watts coming in. This is fucking pretty nuts. One stone at a time, baby. I uh, didn't know that there would be an audience. Well, they're sitting in there now. They're waiting for you. So it's a good thing, Eugene. They're fans of yours. You know I work to the camera mainly and gives me an opportunity. I know, but these people are going to like you. Trust us. I don't know why we don't warn people that there's going to be a, an audience in there. In the initial thing, yeah, there is. Very odd. Have you seen the Medea movie yet? Not yet. I've not seen Witness Protection. Mm. I know you saw it. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Can't say because I signed something and said I would not give my opinion until after the movie had its big weekend. Okay, so I can't wait to hear it. You know, after the, the premiere, I will. I will. I will talk about it extensively. Okay. Um, cool. I, that's fucking exciting. So the uh, jazz album is called uh, the A B C and D a boogie woogie. And uh, you can't get over more than that, huh? Charlie, what? This is pretty ridiculous. Stopping by. And um, I think this is live and done in in Paris, France. Yep. And what I want to do is go play drums in Paris, uh, France. By the way, he's going to be playing in New York at the Lincoln Center and somewhere else. Oh. the Iridium? Do you Ir- know this place? The Iridium, yeah. I don't even know the Iridium. Uh, go to rosebudus.com for ticket information or on Twitter at Rosebud Agency. Yep. Now, if uh, Charlie's interested in starting a new rock and roll band, I honestly feel like I could handle most of Mick's vocals. <sighs> Holy shit, I hope it's And jazz off. them up a little bit. Please allow me introduce myself. Hopefully he throws the offer out there and get this thing moving. I would love that. Ridiculous. Um, by the way, some of the bunny interns, I'm going to... When they do, when they kill bunnies, is just snap yeah. their necks. Yeah. Because I saw that little Kokomo Joe playing with the audience microphone before I got there. Oh. So I'm just going to simply take him and snap his neck. He's not going to even feel the slightest bit of pain. That's that's nice of you, actually. But uh, I don't know whether you whether you were in the room at the time, but I'm in some uh, conversation about which seat my chick normally sits in. Blah, blah, no. And we're going through all this stuff, and I'm like, what are we, two minutes out? And Fez says, as I'm into this long thing, oh, Eugene isn't here yet. And I'm like, well, we're <laughs> yeah, yeah. live, and why wouldn't you say that to me? And he goes... Why well, didn't I want to interrupt you? Yeah. And I go, I'm talking about a seating chart, and you're telling me this madness. Because I thought he was here, too. Yeah. But when that information dropped, I just ran to sprint out of the fucking road. Tried. I got to get the fucking brakes together. We've, we have got to get more confidence for Fez to say the important things. Yeah, that was big. When that started, I was fucking calling Zito. That happens a lot, too. Or a lot of times, like, after the show, like, when it's just time... Like, we'll be sitting around bullshitting and watching things on the internet and all, and then I'm like, all right, I'm going to head home. And then Fez will tell me something that needs to be done that takes, like, about an hour and a half. I go, why didn't you tell me? Well, you guys seem like you were playing tic-tac-toe, and I didn't want to interrupt you. And I'm like, you've got to have confidence. <laughs> you could. It's that okay. you have something important to say. Yeah. 
Gotta get that information out there. He needs to wear that sailor hat at all times. Because a sailor has to know when a rogue wave is coming. And the fact that you're going live and you don't have the act. Yeah. Nor was the man prepared. You know what I mean? Like he needed a little coffee time for himself. He needed Eugene time. Yeah. To get that head straight. He needed to get his jeans on, as he put it. He says, genetically, Ron. And that's because of the name Eugene. Oh. We would have a couple cocktails. And then about 1230 at night, John Candy would put a turkey in. That's a fucking awesome story. <laughs> I thought it was going to be like, started cutting up rails. You know, <laughs> that's when we all did this. John, very sweet man. John had a big appetite. Very, very sweet man. God, I love John Candy. Amazing. Look at that entire cast that he had. Rick Moranis, Dave uh, Thomas, uh, Joe Flaherty, Marty Short was on that show. Harold Ramis was a writer and used to come on that show. Yeah, it's fucking nuts. That's all those people, Catherine O'Hara, Andrea Martin, they all went on to have these just phenomenal careers. Um, I thought the thing of Paul Simon, why is he in that movie? He's not even an actor. Let's just jump into some of this uh, boogie-woogie. Um, Charlie Watts is coming into the studio. We should have a drum set set up for him. I can try so to get, play along with it. Try to get a snare, maybe. Yeah, we should do that. Let's. Uh, this is called "Sympathy for the Drummer." Um, oh, all the things that I was plugging are no longer true. But he is playing okay. uh, at the Lincoln Center and. I read them all this week. The A, B, C, and D of Boogie Woogie. Uh, that's live in Paris. It's available in stores and online at Amazon.com. This one's called Sympathy for the Drummer. Charlie. <laughs>
CD of Boogie Woogie. That's the new album, Live in Paris. And Charlie Watts is in studio with us. How are you, sir? Fine. It's good to see you. Uh, This music that you're playing on this album, this is the kind of music that you grew up with? This is the music that you first fell in love with? Um, The feel of it is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. It's one of... There's a guy called... One of the godfathers of this music, or founder members, is a guy called Mead Lux Lewis. Mm-hmm. And the bass player, who I've known since I was five, uh, and I both had records by Mead Lux Lewis when we were about 12, when we first started listening to jazz. So I suppose I grew up with it. But, you know, I've, there's many jazz people I used to listen to, and this type of thing was... Yeah... I suppose you could say I grew up with it. What was it about jazz music? Swing. Yeah, it was swing music. The swing of it is what I fell in love with, yeah. And by the time you started playing professionally, jazz had kind of lost some of its audience. No, by the time I... uh, Well, David and I used to play in jazz band. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, by the time... uh, well, when would I be professional? I became professional, as they laughingly call it, was <laughs> when I made more money with the Rolling Stones than I did when I went to work, <laughs> which meant that was uh, about six months after I joined the Rolling Stones. So that's 50 years ago. Um, and jazz in 63 was quite big and mm. f- popular. Jazz died out as a popular form it seemed to have it's still strong and going well and young guys play it really well still to you know still going there's nothing wrong with what's called the music but uh, i suppose it lost its way a bit in the 70s or became less popular mm. but in the 60s it was, it was still quite you know big but the 50s is when it was really fashionable and so for you yourself, when you listen to music, do you listen to jazz above all else if yeah. you're going to listen? Well, no, it's usually nowadays. I usually listen to classical music stations wherever I am. Except in New York, I listen to 89-something. I usually listen to a jazz station there. Yeah. Who were the, the who were your early jazz heroes? Were there people that well, you... The obvi- well, the first guy ever uh, was aware of being a jazz musician. El Bostic. Mm was the first record I fell in love with, uh, Flamingo. And the first jazz things were, was what, what, I, what spurred me on to be a drummer, you might say, or the guy emulator fell in love with the drums of Walking Shoes, which is Jerry Mulligan. And Chet Baker was obviously one of the great looking and things, and Charlie Parker, then I got... Did you have a chance to see all those guys play or did, when they came through England? Did, yeah. Yeah, everybody. Yeah, I'm trying to think, yeah. 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 But, yeah. And then when you started to uh, play with the Stones and found out that this is what you were going to be doing for a living, did I you... I didn't... It wasn't like that somehow. No. It caught up. Yeah. When I joined the Stones, I was in three other bands. Uh, and... and uh, you know, I mean, kind of, but they never had any work, nor did the Stones, actually, when I joined them. And slowly we got more work as we went. That's one of the amazing things of the Rolling Stones as a group of people, as well as, as a phenomenon, as a band, in a way, 
phenomena um, uh, is that we've always it's it's grown very it grew very quickly. We didn't have that awful gap wait before you know we could do. It was very we became popular very quickly. For some, don't ask me why or how, but we did. In turn, in, in in the eyes, so and I always thought the Rolling Stones would last about either six months or three years at the most, because that's what bands did. Right. So it just went on and on and on, and here we are, fifty years later, saying. And almost through the whole thing, you've been waiting for it to end. You waited for it to end. Actually, I tried to end it a few <laughs> times, but no one believed me. But uh, yeah, kind of. Well, one of the things that uh, one of the few things I think that Mick and Keith have always agreed upon is that they need you. Uh, one of the few things I just realized. <laughs> I was trying to work that out. Okay, but it, despite all that, they've always said, "Yeah, we've got to have Charlie playing." And so, whether or not you wanted the band to last, it seems like it has been your responsibility. I would. It wasn't really the band last, and it was me uh, doing it longer. I, at yeah. the end, because the thing is that our tours, not nowadays, but they used to be so long mm -hmm. that by the end of whenever, you know, there was another one two weeks later, and at the end of, of you know, I don't know, six months in America, I just thought that was it. I couldn't do any more. Yeah. But two weeks later, you're back on the plane going to Johannesburg or wherever. Um, I'm, I, well, I think, you know, I think they could have carried on anyway without me, but I don't believe all that, really. Um, but, you know, when you talk about those kind of big tours, it was the Stones that more or less invented those kind of long rock and roll tours. Before that, people would do shorter tours, but I think it was the Stones that came up with those just big, massive, long tours. Well, I don't know about the longevity of them. Mm -hmm. We certainly didn't invent... I remember we had a long break, about five years or so, longer maybe, and we were, were going back on the road. And during that period, Led Zeppelin had become seriously big. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it became... All the promoters were suddenly looking because we come up from an era where you went... Our first tour, a big tour, was with a galaxy of rock and roll star. I mean, fabulous people yeah. to be allowed, privileged enough to walk on the stage with. Um, and we were allowed, uh, you were allowed two songs, I think. And then we got into the sort of Beatles period, as I call it, where we couldn't play longer than three songs because they used to wreck the place. So we come up from an era where you'd play at the most an hour. Mm -hmm. It's usually three quarters of an hour and you're off. And thanks to Jimmy's fantastic guitar playing and uh, John Bonham's drum solos, they were two and a half hours long. So we had this ridiculous thing of playing for two hours and it was like, <laughs> which I think is too long of anyone. But How long do you think a, a show should last when you go out? For me? Yeah, for you. I think an hour of anyone is long yeah. enough. And I think, I, I actually like the days when you had about five headliners on. Yeah. When we, the first tour we did, and we did many after, but the first one we did, the Rolling Stones, we were f second on to go on. A very famous record producer, who became a famous record producer, was the first one on. Then it was uh, us, Bo Diddley, 
uh, sorry, Little Richard would go on after us, and then it would be Bo Diddley and the Everly Brothers. And that was your favourite, yeah. That and, was, that, and that was, you know, the Everly Brothers do like half an hour, and they do all this, uh, fabulous. At that, at that time, that age, they were just at their best, a peak. Yeah. They were so professional. And Bo Diddley was fantastic. And Richard was the best. Yeah. You Richard, know, he, Richard, you couldn't stop him. He was actually just uh, back in town here playing really? like uh, about uh, two, three weeks he's ago. He's a great, under, really underrated yeah. piano player, Richard, because he was so great. And some, I mean, the girl can't help it. It's fantastic. Yeah. His song is in the, he's in the movie. Yeah. He's the star of that, but William and Jane Mansfield are the stars of that. And such an originator and doesn't get as much no, uh, no, play as Chuck Berry or no, Elvis. He, well, he, you know, he is one of them. Yeah. Which, uh, nobody gets as much as Elvis. Yeah. Oh, you know, it's like the Beatles and Elvis. You know, they're, <laughs> right. they're, they're just the names. But under them, yeah, I'm, I've never been an Elvis fan, really. I was always Richard and, and, and Fats Domino. Yeah. Why was that? What was it about Elvis? Well, I think because I always loved what what I don't know what you call it now, uh, Afro-American. I mean, black <laughs> black right singing. black music. Even when I was a kid, you know, mm -hmm. my favorite singer was, uh, believe it or not, was Billy Eckstein. You know, I mean, I don't know, I don't know why or what, you know, but I always had great admiration for these guys that were, and the music that I listened to was, you know. Duke Ellington and Count Basie, so obviously, you know. So that must have been amazing for you to come to New York the first time. Where so Well, the first time I came here, a guy called Ian Stewart, who was our boogie yeah. piano player, um, uh, we looked in at New York and we went to Birdland. Right away, first yeah. thing. Yeah, and uh, that, was, that was, and I saw the wonderful Sonny Rollins there in wow. his trio. Yeah. So that was it, really. Yeah, I'd seen I'd seen America. <laughs> the rest of it, I didn't. You know. It didn't I, interest you. No, it didn't. I, no, it didn't. It didn't yeah. interest me actually at the time. Yeah. And by the time we got to San Antonio, Texas, you know, that was another. Wow, what's it? Texas State Fair, you know, and all that. Right. That's another part of it. I never knew that existed, really. Well, it is a massive country. That oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, you know, you go. You can go around. Well, Duke Ellington used to go around it, and you come back a year later, playing every every other night or every night. Yeah. It, it is amazing. Uh, but when in England at the time, I guess you'd only heard about Hollywood and New York City, and had no idea how much space was in between those two. Well, places. not if you were as avid a fan of those people that yeah. lived in Hollywood, and uh, you know, and, and uh, New York. Uh, Chicago, I obviously knew about. I mean, I learned about Chicago through Mick and Keith. Well, yeah. I mean, I knew about Chicago with Al Capone, really. Mm -hmm. But um, Mick and Keith taught me the music side of it. They had, uh, they came from a blues background. They loved the blues. Yeah, but, you know, all our love was from records. Right. We never saw all these guys. We never saw Jimmy Reed actually do it until the 60s. Mm -hmm. which I didn't know he'd been to London, but Bill actually put me right on that yeah. a very good program he did called uh, odyssey, blues odyssey mm. he did a book and a tv program it's very good it's uh, really good bill was always more of the blues as well no uh, not then bill yeah. was the only guy in the band actually that loved uh, jerry lee lewis mm. 
Bill was a rocker, as we call him. Yeah. So he loved Little Richard and Jerry Lee Lewis. Keith was a Chuck Berry, Muddy Waters uh, guy. So and I, I was Charlie Parker. <laughs> Charlie Parker. I was totally out of the <laughs> loop, really. Uh, but all those things came together. All those influences came together and kind of made the Rolling Stones. Um, it probably yeah. took that. Much. I mean, you know, the thing with there, there's musicians mm -hmm. and there's that mixture of musicians because you, you must know and I know hundreds of bands that make one record and then the guitarist yeah. wants to make a, you know, they go off. Um, and then you get, and there's hundreds of guys at school that could play really well. Right. Or, or after you see them in clubs. And, and it's that, it's, 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 it, it's a lucky combination of who you get with, how it gels. You know, the who, uh, Pete Townsend, uh, uh, John, and Keith Moon as a trio was, you know, it's never been, they, even now, Pete, or oh, he probably doesn't have the energy or interest to do it, but you're never going to find a Keith Moon again. That mixture yeah. is it's not, you know, you don't get it. And and even with, um, you know, Zeppelin, you know, when John went, Bonham, it, it was not the same uh, ever. And Jimmy plays just as well now, and Robert sings equally as well. But it was never quite the same without John, that sound. Um, and that, it's a mixture of things, it's of, of odd things that make, uh, you know, Ringo... John and Paul, you know, the Beatles were never the same when John went. Yeah. They, 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 I'm sure they'd have got together and done something, really, if he'd have lived on, you know. But it was never the same without him. And isn't it also amazing that you can walk into clubs and see a great musician playing in front of a half a dozen people, and then that person never catches on. There's never, they never sort of, find that You place. just quoted the jazz world from <laughs> day one. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. uh, sometimes it's their own fault because they get totally self-indulgent, right? And and uh, for their and good good luck to them, they won't bend. Mm -hmm. So that's what they do. And some and sometimes you just slip through the thing. It's very, you know, they they are they even now. You know, there are so many young kids that play brilliant in in Europe and here. I know, you know, they're, so, they're great, great players, and you see them. And you'd never hear of them again. And you, I, why, I don't know why it should be. I, I have no idea. But over the little time I've been looking at them in clubs and that, you, they just go, you know. What's it like for you to play with different people? Is it always uh, new experiences you're bringing people I'm, in? I'm not a great one at playing with different people. Yeah. Uh, I usually have a safety net. If I play with another band, it will be with Bill Wyman in it. Or mm. and and usually if it's outside of the Stones, it'll be with uh, David Green on bass. There's always a comfort of having. So you know, I did uh, if I if I did a blues thing, I'd there'd have to be Keith or Ronnie in it mm -hmm. just for me or Mick Taylor, you know. To but um, it's usually very a lot of fun. I usually find it quite daunting to begin with, but it's actually fun. These guys are real easy to play with. And how did you bring this whole project together? How I did didn't bring it yeah. together. Ben Walters brought it together. Yeah. He rang, uh, him and Axel said they'd like to play together. Mm -hmm. uh, ben said, 
Uh, I'd done a, a, a television show with Dave Green and Axel uh, 20 years before that. And uh, Ben said, why don't we do that? Yeah. Get them two to do it. And he rang us and I said, yeah, that'd be all right. And it, was, it was for one show. Just to do one? Yeah. And, and uh, since, uh, that was three years ago. And now we just do whenever it's convenient to do things. Because sometimes, you know, I've got things to do. Or, and most of the other, the other guys, the, the two piano players and Dave, you know, Axel works all the time. That's what he does for a living. He plays boogie-woogie for a living. Mm -hmm. Ben, you employ to do... You know, he can be the bartender. The, Whatever it he, takes. He's, uh, Bill is... Uh, ben, I mean, is, is, is Mr. Entertainment, really. Yeah. Also a wonderful piano player. But <clears throat> that's what he does. And and uh, and Dave is a on-the-phone jazz musician, so you ring him up and, you, you know, he'll be... Both, both Axel and Dave were playing at a jazz thing the night before they came here, last night, night before last. To have that boogie-woogie sound, though, you always need a piano player, right? It can't be... Oh, yeah. No, yeah. Well, the guitars took on the you know, Chuck Berry. It's that yeah. chugging thing. But, yeah, if, yeah. this is the most authentic uh, uh, boogie-woogie. This is yeah. really... They used to, Albert Ammons and Pete Johnson were the founders of this. And they used to play in a club in New York called... Uh, the Cafe Society. They had two, one uptown and one downtown. And the, uh, that's in the late 30s. They were employed to play there, and that's really what that is. Mm. That's exactly what that is. Uh, when you get together with the Stones, is it just right back, or does it take a while to get that chemistry? Or do you feel like... No, we slot straight away. I mean, do yeah. it so long. But usually it takes a while uh, to get your hands together and that yeah but it physically it's much harder doing this working with the stones than that and why is that the energy level is a lot higher yeah the volume you have to play at is more you just have but to come in rock and roll yeah. is, a, is a bit harder than that uh, that's that that's got a very because of dave green mm -hmm. it's got a very jazz feel I'm talking about playing. It may not sound like it, but it does have that because he's a, he's an acoustic bass player and he plays. He's a jazz bass player, so it, it has a feel like which I love. Yeah. So it's swing things really. And when you're playing with this group, you're playing uh, obviously with in front of much smaller audiences. <laughs> that, than that, that particular audience <laughs> yeah. was dying. <laughs> yeah, it was very small. So has that become more difficult, or is it easier? Because suddenly now everybody's right there on top of you, and well, yeah, that can yeah. be daunting. Yeah, but it depends what the stage is like. And once you're going, it'll be like that. The, the Iridium. I've never played there, but the first number or so, you'll be thinking. You feel out the room, really. Yeah, you have to actually but feel the, the room. This is uh, five. We were there for five nights, mm -hmm. two shows a night. It was the only way they could afford us to get <laughs> two lots in. So um, uh, we had a. By the time that was recorded, we had our. We were, you know, we were in there. We knew what, was, what the room was like. But that's got to take you back some years. How long has it been since you had done a two show? A night thing that had to have been since you were a kid, well, right? I've done a few of those. No, yeah, the Stones have been doing. No, yeah, no, they <laughs> no. Uh, 
And the Stones do two hours. These, these yeah. guys work for an hour, then a break. You don't get many musicians work for two hours straight through. No. Uh, how far do you hope to take this project? Are you just feeling it out? And, well, I, just, I don't yeah. know, as far as it goes. As far I don't as know it what goes. it's going to do. I, it, <clears throat> we're all a bit late in life to suddenly say, I'm devoting my life to this. Uh, it's fun, you know? Yeah. It's a joyous, it's joyous music. People seem to like it. Um, and if we get asked to do things... It, you know, if those guys, if they're not working next week, they'll be working. You know, when when it's when it's a slot to put it in, mm -hmm. we'll do something. You know, I don't know. It may not ever do anything else, or we may do more. It's been going three years now. So, uh, and how about with the Stones, Charlie? Any new plans or? Well, we've got loads of plans, but yeah. I don't know. We still too. We haven't done anything about it. So, what's it take for that to start moving again? Who for people to say yes? I'd yeah. like to do that. Yeah. So everybody's got to be able to turn the switch at the same time, or well, we've all got to agree on it. We yeah, haven't, we haven't yet. Yeah, actually, we ha it hasn't been discussed properly. Right, but look, it will take that to, for us to say yeah. You know, you've got to say yes. Next Wednesday we'll be at the Apollo, or you know, right. Madison Square Garden. That's what it takes. Oh, the Apollo sounds like a great idea <laughs> to get you guys there. No, that was me. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that was me. Keith just played there. I yeah, think. yeah, he did the. Hubert, Hubert Sumlin thing. Uh, Charlie, so great to see you. It's and you. The is, it, is this Ron and... Yes, oh. it is. Good to see you. Oh, go on. A, B, C, and D of Boogie Woogie. Thank you so much, Thank Charlie. Thank you.
Missouri, Oklahoma City looks so, so pretty, oh, see. Thank you, everybody. Appreciate it. Uh, Charlie Watts and Eugene Levy playing on that last song. How weird is our day today? It's just bananas. Some wild ass it's shit. It's boo nanas. It ain't even two. And it's bam. I'm asking Eugene Levy. And Charlie Watts comes in here and talks about the Stones. That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, by the way, uh, I just had a very embarrassing moment. So Charlie Watts is in here, and Kathleen from the Bronx is by today. She came up from Philly. I don't know why she's not Kathleen from Philly. But I introduced her to Charlie Watts, and and she says, I'm doing that whole jazz thing in the Bronx right now. I'm bringing back swing. Why would you say that? Kathleen. No, I actually... I actually said uh, I said that to him. I'm like, this is from Kathleen from the Bronx. She's bringing that whole Bronx swing thing back into fold, and then that set up an odd moment. Yeah, I just said he he he. Get it? Get it? It doesn't end there, folks. Uh, coming up, up next uh, from Sea Hunt, we have. It's too weird around here today. Yes. Too weird. I love it. Do you love it? Maybe after running a well, the live on mass is always just way too many headaches than is needed. Yeah, Fez, we were talking about this. You have got when there's an emergency happening and someone else is talking, you have to burst in with it. Like if the building's on fire, and Hicks and I are talking about what our uh, uh, favorite pudding is. I want you not to wait until we're done talking. I want you to yell out, the building's on fire. Or if we're two minutes away from going live with our guest and he hasn't arrived, I want you to say, stop talking about the stupid seating arrangement, Ron. Our guest isn't here yet. That's where we got to get as a team. You know, Charlie was talking about chemistry. And did you notice I got the little laugh I said when I said the only thing Mick and Keith can agree on <laughs> loved it. was him? But they both, it's true. Those guys will bust each other's balls forever, but never uh, do they ever say anything bad about Charlie. They always said we couldn't do a band without him. There you go. Feel good about yourself, Charlie? Yeah. Maybe you ought to get some of the writing credit instead of those. I see see other two names on everything. Um, Supposedly, there's this old story, whether it's true or not, I'm going to fucking repeat it. But... uh, where Mick was like drunk, they're on the road, and Mick is drunk, and call. And Charlie was back in his room sleeping, and uh, 
Mick calls his room and wakes him up in the middle of the night and goes, where's my drummer? I can't, I'm partying, and I don't have me drummer here. <laughs> and supposedly, Charlie gets up out of bed, puts on his suit, shoes, does his hair, puts on a tie, walks down to the party, and punches Mick in the face and says, don't ever call me your drummer, you're my singer. And that was supposedly oh, a Stones story that goes around forever. But I'm looking at it. They're the two tiniest people ever. Charlie's really a small guy. I like the suit. Um, let's go over here to John. John in Alabama. You're on Ronnie Fez. Ronnie B., for the love of God, it's already 1.30. We need our gay of the day. We haven't done any gay of the day today. Uh we're all thrown off here. It's just a bizarre... De we're almost like we're living somebody else's life. It's bizarre. feel out of time, almost. Yeah, I mean, who else is going to have... Like, give me a late-night TV star that's going to have a fucking show as good as those two guests. That's crazy One after how good another. that is. And then we got Roger Walters running around with... And I don't understand why, but his audience got sandwiches. Oh, come on. And ours didn't. They had little meat sandwiches. Why, why can't... I need to get some heat down the hall. And I blame that whole thing on... You guys can go live, but you can't get a sandwich or a picture of your guest. I would like that a nice poster size of Eugene Levy. That'd be a great. Look awesome. Uh, by the way, I found this out in the green room. Um, Eugene Levy doesn't think it's funny. Is said, did anyone ever drive a Chevy to you and then find out you were driving? You asked him that. Yeah. Uh, but I yelled it at him while okay, he was sleeping. Right. I kind of was smacking him like that. <laughs> Maybe that's not the best thing. But at least that's to... finally answered. Well, still. I'll do an interview. Um, send me in my little intern. Kokomo? Yeah. Kokomo, Kokomo. get in here. Kokomo, just Kokomo, fucking you motherfucker. Come into the fucking studio. Get your ass in here right what now. What the fuck God is your it. problem, Minnesota, huh? Twin Cities, my ass. What do I look through the other thing and see you playing games with the stage mic? Oh, yeah. What I, were you attempting to do? Was it then? on? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes, Sorry. it's all on, on. You were going out on the air at the time. You don't play around. There's no such thing as a dead mic. So while you and that woman, what were you saying to each other? We were just bantering. Why like, would you do that into a microphone? I don't. Are you I, fucking nuts. I'm sorry. I thought it was off. No. no. What? Yeah. No. There's no such thing as a microphone is off. That's like saying I thought the the, the gun had no bullets in it. That isn't a gun anymore. That's a piece of metal. All right. A microphone is a microphone. I Period. Sorry. It's not something for you and this woman to take. You know what? Uh, when we're leaving here, we have to go to the big office and explain why one of the interns would start doing an interview and let it go out over live air. I apologize. That's, it's not a matter of apologizing. Doesn't help anything. There's no. only one way you can fix this. You've got to turn back time, get the share song, follow everything that she talks about in it, and then make that happen. You got a big song for today? Yes. Yeah, me and Dana did another duet. Oh, you and Dana. It's always you and Dana, isn't it? Bosom Buddies, yeah. huh? Bosom Buddies. You did the Bosom Buddies theme? No, we did uh, the Juno theme today. Juno? What year is this? 
2012. Dude, 2012, Avengers theme. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> right. Come on, man. Fucking Iron Man. We're the Avengers. Right. We avenge shit. All right. Um, Dominic, you're on the Run of Fez show. Ron, thanks for taking my call. I just want Good to job. congratulate you. That was an outstanding interview with Charlie Watts. You know we're all sitting here, and he's got to talk his piece about the swing, but the rest of us are on our feet uh, wondering what's going to happen with the Stones, and you did get some key stuff out. Wouldn't that show at the Apollo just be outstanding? If I, I, would love, I would love to do it. The interesting thing about Charlie is, I guess... I mean, for like 50 years, he just didn't do interviews. Then he came in here, and basically, I'm like, why weren't you doing interviews all these years? Great He's got all kinds of shit. He's bringing up names here and there. It's awesome. You know, yeah, there's not a lot out there. For 50 years, on. we've got Mick going, you wouldn't want me trousers to fall down. Up, <laughs> up, up, up the button on me trousers. Yes, yes Keith. That's not Keith. That's Mick. Mick. Keith. Keith is more like his Charlie and Bill. Does he? By the way, does Charlie think Bill's still in the Stones? Because I got. He's like, I got a Bill with me, and I'm like, that's '93, dude. And who else? He brought up somebody else. He brought he Mick brought, Taylor. Yeah, Mick Taylor. Yeah, okay, he was going to what? '75. No one's gone from Charlie's life once you're in with him. That's really I'll cool. probably get a call with him later, <laughs> and I'll be playing fucking swing clarinet in some jazz place uptown, awesome. shooting heroin All right, with uh, the Bird's grandson. Do that. And I'm talking about Larry Bird's grandson. <laughs> He's very, very pale, and as a sax player from the outside, he just fucking rains threes. Should we bring Dana in with you for this? Do we need to break first? Um, I don't know. She hasn't heard it yet, so... Oh, we gotta... We should probably bring her in. All right, I gotta break first, okay? okay. So I can do a catch-up ball. We're supposedly doing a new contest. We don't know when that's going up or what we have. We're behind the eight ball today. And what I'm finding out is... Hicks, yeah. you've been in the cushion. Okay. I want you to do this. Yeah. Next week is vacation week. Yeah. I want you to start yours a day early. Oh, wow. On Friday. You sure? Yeah. Um, you're an intern, so it really doesn't matter one way or another. But I need you in here every day next week while we're gone and just sitting in front of that door with your nose pressed against it. Okay. And if anybody asks you why, just go like this. Because I use the microphone I shouldn't have. And this is the only way a bad boy can help. Okay. You're so bad. Don't. You're not going to do that, are you? I will make sure he does that. Well, yeah. Do you realize if, right now you look like Eugene Levy's kid with those glasses and eyebrows? <laughs> no. Take your glasses off for one second. Say, I would have lost money. I thought your eyebrows were going with it. I thought it was a whole <laughs> set together. Did you enjoy Eugene Levy? Did you understand did. any of this stuff? Yeah, it, it was very... Did any of the references... Yeah, I did, yeah. Did was, you get any of them? Mm-hmm. I, well, I did. I've never seen like Second City C TV or anything. Second like that. City TV. Look, look at him when he was younger. It's the same person. You. The yeah. same oh, fucking man. person. Kiss the screen now. Kiss the screen. Kiss and it. Say that's, kiss it. Don't kiss that screen. Don't let people bully. In fact, I didn't expect it from you. I expected yeah. me and Hicks to bully him, but I expect for you to go. This is the same kind of stuff. That oh my god. It's like looking in a mirror. You know. If you look at Eugene Levy as a kid, all you can think is shop class. There's no way you thought he would have a, 
I've done 58 uh, movies. God damn. Uh, most of them American Pie is straight to DVD. <laughs> that had a long life, that series. <laughs> I play the part of Jim's dad. <laughs> I did not... I, I, I know people yell Jim's dad at him. I didn't think they would yell two left feet. People are too stupid just to yell out Eugene Levy. Yeah, They're yelling two left feet. I don't get it. That's all I know. Mm. All right, we're going to break here. Back a lot more. It's the Ron and Fez Show. Ron and Fez. The Ron and Fez Show. It's the Ron and Fez show, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Um, Hicks, you're, would you like for a friend, I'm going to go back and look at that uh, now. Yeah. We started the show with that when we were normal people, before <laughs> all of this stuff happened. The wildness. Yeah. Um. I really looked this over, and I doubt a lot of people were proud of you today. I don't mind. And it's also because you took money for it. Oh, yeah. Well, the guy offered it. I was like... Goods and services. Okay. Uh, Nora Afron also uh, passed away. Probably the inventor of the modern romantic comedy. Um, but remember when we did the... Um, uh, Nick Stoller yeah. thing. Um, I had to go to this party. I had to go see his thing that night, his opening night. And then they did this big party at MoMA, which was all done like it was a wedding reception. Nice. It was actually one of the best parties I've ever been to. Like, you come in, they're trying to give you champagne at the door. Shit. And, uh, like, the VIP part of the audience walked over. Oh, I know what it was at the beginning of the Tribeca Film Festival, too. So everybody was up for this. And we were walking along through the room, and we're like, this is what people think New York parties are like, you know? Where there's a lot of space, really cool decor. Raiders and shit. Yeah, you're, par you're partying in front of paintings. And and then we bumped into Nora Ephron right there, and we were just like, whoa, it's Nora Ephron. Because it made you really feel like a New York party. And this is only a couple months ago, right? Two, three months ago, we did yeah. the Nick Stoller. Yeah. And I thought she looked terrific that night. I had no idea that she was sick. No, it's, uh, yeah. Like yesterday, um, I mean, late afternoon, it came out that, yeah, her her, her book publisher was just saying she's really sick. Some people said she she had already died. And then, like, for like, a couple hours, people were because Liz Smith, columns for the Post, and Pretty much put out an obituary. Yeah, for she put out the obituary like early. That's awful. I just keep thinking about Charlie Watts though, and I'm just thinking seriously. I need to hear "Sympathy for the Devil." I 
I just really need to get over that. So it gets embedded in my mind uh, that Charlie Watts was in here. Because there's so much of the time that you're like, I don't want you to focus on the cool thing that just happened. I want you to take it. Listen to this. Yeah. 
Ah, uh, that was nice, right? I feel good. Yeah, it just feels good. It just feels good. It is the Ron and Fez show on a uh, Wednesday. Uh, the kids are now calling it Wednesday, Wednesday, because all the kids keep watching that fourth hour of the Today Show and trying to catch on and try to do all the same stuff. I mean, you know. I never thought of you as a wine drinker. I'll, I'll, I like the red wine. Yeah, yeah. I like the box wine. It's cheap. That you yeah. get a lot of it, like a fucking big ass gallon pouch of it. Hold on, I had to look around. I thought I was in an AA meeting because normally when someone said I like the box wine, that's where you are. You're not with the. A regular person. Look, Franzia is delicious. All right, oh, that's that's, the, that's my brand. <laughs> so much stuff up on the iBank today, including the pier jumping down in uh, Florida with that incredible stuff that's going on with the high winds and all. People are out risking their lives. It's not anything that you can really talk about on the radio much, but you would uh, like the visual of this Hicks for you though. The big story uh, today is the guy who put together the 25 minutes worth of Spider-Man uh, just out of stuff that's released. He's actually put together a yeah. Spider-Man movie that hits all the plot points and makes perfect sense because they've released 25 minutes of footage from the film. Yeah, between between trailers and special featurettes... Movies now are just become just that's it. You know exactly what's going to happen. They 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 show the ending of a fucking movie. It's ridiculous. They don't want any under any circumstances for people to show up in a movie without already knowing everything it is. As if some people are going to be upset that they don't get everything they want and not trust the movie. It's ridiculous. I I am embarrassed these days and by I'm the. Amer and I think it would work against them in this case. Wouldn't you want people leaving the theater saying, you've got to go see what they did with this lizard villain? I don't know why you say in this case. To me, it would be every case. Yeah. Every single case. I don't ever need to see the stuff blowing up or the people kissing. They give away all the big fucking pieces. Everything. In the film. It sucks. Everything. But they do this because it works. Like, you can't blame them. You can only blame the average moviegoer. Because the average moviegoer needs to see everything before they show up. Because they feel they, they know more than the people there and they want to make sure they're getting everything they want. Oh, come on. It's almost like they want to see a menu now. And go, I'll take that. And, the, and most of the time, the uh, men go, give me steak. And then the woman goes, do you have a shrimp plate? Thanks. Come on. No? Then I'll just have capon or a little piece of fish. It's the woman light. won't sit down and go, give me the full steak. I'm ready to do this. Come on, ladies. Jump in. I think it's because, and uh, this is just a guess, they want to digest their food. They're not like us. Weird. Instead of leave the meat in your stomach where it can rot. I like the rotting meat feeling inside of me. It's and always when, there. When you're like this, after a while, you're like, smell my skin. It's like the dead meat is coming right through my pores. Just pour butter on me. Um, that's how I felt when I had... Well, you had a little piece of the lobster roll when we went to the fucking bar... Uh, bar food extravaganza? Yeah, just... Uh, deep fried in cheese is the name of the place. Mm. But you got a little bit of the lobster roll. Which did they use mayo in that? Uh, yeah, I, think yeah, I, I won't thank mayo. you. Yeah. I won't thank you for that. Yeah, I got to go straight butter. I mean, let's face this: in real life, 
Would a living lobster, if he had the chance to lay in butter or mayo, what would he do? He's gonna probably he's gonna walk into the butter sauce. No further questions then. You may step down. Right. I, I said that, no further I questions. I didn't know I was up anywhere. <laughs> you are. I want you to feel at all times that you're being cross-examined. Jesus. All, all right. right. Send me in my baby bunnies. All right. I want to hear their song extravaganza. Um, these kids work and work and work because churn. Um, quite frankly, they're not. They have to work hard because they're not smart enough to do it without. But they become a musical couple in yeah. their own way. Very odd. They're just banging out shit yeah. together. And I don't know why they picked this one to do. It's, um, of course, Kokomo Joe and his would-be girlfriend, if life worked the way you want it to work. Yeah. Um, but so far it hasn't because she seems like she likes the other guy, Dave, better. I never said that. It just, I don't know. That, never said that. I just go by rumors that I heard back from HR. Well, maybe this song will change your mind. All right, so this song you kids put together, and both of you said uh, that Juno was your favorite all-time movie and that you wanted to live your life that way. You said then your dream was to give away a baby before yes. you're ready to mm -hmm. raise it yourself. I love Tic Tacs. And you like Tic Tacs, yeah. and you like jogging in just odd jogging, yellow yeah. shorts. I love getting bored and just having sex and having getting pregnant. Right, so that's <laughs> fun right. for kids. This is what's fun for kids. I worry when I see these two, because it reminds me of babies having babies. Oh, no. <laughs> Which, on. here's the thing. When babies are having babies... They just think they have to pee, and they start oh. crying, and then they just give birth to another baby. <laughs> After birth? Yeah, and then I'll take that baby, and I'll say to the first baby, now you have, you're responsible for this, <laughs> and watch out for its little soft spot. <laughs> See, guys, this is what's going to happen. Slippery <clears throat> slow. What's the furthest you think you could throw a baby, if you had to? <laughs> I'd give me like 60 yards, maybe, throw a, a, a fucking launch that motherfucker. This I actually threw a baby half a mile, and the thing was, I mean, it was from an airplane. I mean, it was straight down, but I still you count that. Threw a child out of a plane. I'm sorry, didn't you? Sixty yards, and all of a sudden you're bragging like your father of the year. I'm going to say you actually did. I'm saying hypothetically, yeah, I think I. Could. I think it depends on the baby. I've seen some big babies. Yeah, you got to watch out for them. Mm. Certainly, those you don't want to. Huge. Yeah, those. I would just leave in a dumpster somewhere. That's what I did. That's what I, I did. I want this fat baby. Yeah, that baby's yeah. too fat. I'm gonna wait for a thin baby. A preemie <laughs> seems like it would just go further. It would, but it's wiggling so much. There's it's so got so many like rolls. All, and, all like... babies are gonna wiggle, Fez. They don't mean to. Um, one of my babies, because you know how I've always been a pirate fan, right? I love the pirates. Oh, yeah. Why well, got a little hook in? I had it's. <laughs> I don't even know if baby could use that hook hand. I found out they can't. And a lot of times they'll scratch themselves with it. Oh no! Well, was Especially... it a full size hook? Yeah. Well, they got to get a baby hook. Yeah, yeah. Where the hell are you going to get a baby hook? Just maybe one of those hooks <laughs> that you like hang a bathrobe on in the <laughs> bathroom Fez, door. it's a pirate, not something for. <laughs> He's crazy. <laughs> it's not for a towel. <laughs> um, 
So this song that you kids did, you cut it down. I'm not going to listen to a three-minute song again with you. Yeah, it's only about oh, uh, maybe, maybe minute 15. Oh, that's longer than I could possibly bear. Okay. And you sang this into each other's eyes, and you thought that this would be the thing to make Dana like you mm-hmm. back. Yeah, yeah. Instead of David. Yeah, instead of David. Have you gone out with David yet? No. Wow. He's I think I talked. I talk more to Joe than I talk to David. David's telling a lot of people that he went out with you. No. Yeah. He's, yeah. Yeah. he's uh-huh. been tweeting it a lot. <laughs> he, oh, he's yeah. tweeted? Yeah. I thought oh, kids God. don't tweet. You better Did, slow yeah. this. I'm just tweeting now. He checks in he's over there constantly on Foursquare. Oh, well, he's sure. He's like, intern well, he's station the, with Dana. He's the mayor. <laughs> <laughs> he's the mayor. <laughs> of the in- I did not know that that uh, thing was called uh, inster- intern it's, station. Yeah. That's um, it. That's what it is on Foursquare. All right, I'll have to take the, tell that back to HR next time Dana complains. Good thing you didn't tag me because you knew I'd reject it. I don't know what that <laughs> means, tag. What? Like like you tag them, like huh? you write my name too. Like I never like, knew this. With see? Dana, yeah. so then I'll pop up on my page. Oh! Yeah. Yeah. See, yeah. it's a whole different world. Yeah. yeah. All right, so this is the song. Who did this song first? Uh... The moldy peaches. There you oh, go. Moldy. I was glad that Thank you heard that. Thank you. I waited and waited to see if you got it. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that. Let's uh, let's take a listen. This is my first time hearing it. Won't be the last. I love buying gifts at corner store you're right alicia is a total whore i don't see how any other intern can be as cool as you have really strong biceps and really strong pecs i love it when you stare straight at my chest i don't see how any other intern be as handsome I love seeing you laugh, I love seeing you smile Let's go outside and share a black and mild And you're right, Alicia is a total whore But I still think she's kind of hot Watch what you say if you want to be the victor You know I get hit on by plenty other interns But maybe it's the way you say my name That makes me really like that about you do 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 why? What? <laughs> Why did you cut that ending shit out? It's, it's cuter that way. It's way more adorable. Oh, so yeah. you yeah. kept it as it was. Here's mm-hmm. what I like about Dana. She does more with one note <laughs> than like an anyone else I've ever seen before. It's and, the lyrics. I'm like, Joe, you wrote too much. I can't say this all. What? Wow. It, yeah. I mean, and I who's Alicia? It. Like, I didn't understand that part. Alicia either. is a total whore. Yeah, you're but, right about that. Yeah. A. B. I made her up. <laughs> Okay. Um, let's um, let's just say this. I think it's an ace. Oh, hell I yeah. think it's a straight ace. And you know that no good handsome Johnny Tube Steak was around here today. Yeah. And everybody in this place hates him now. Yeah, he's a snake. Because what he's done to Brazilian Julie. He's a fucking garbage monster. He is. 
He's a pe- he's a piece of dirt, and he should go live in a dirt house and eat his own dirt face. And shit out <laughs> dirt shits. What? Yeah, that's it. And then do what with the dirt shits? E- eat, re-eat them. Oh, God, <laughs> man. This is going to go oh, on for yeah, infinity. It's a fucked up cycle. That's, a, that's what we think of you, handsome Johnny. Yes, you are handsome. Everyone sure. realizes that, but inside you're dirt shit, and we know that <laughs> from the amount of times that you ate dirt shit it and then re-ate your own dirt shit. Uh, tomorrow night is a big night uh, because Louis uh, returns to TV, and that's why we put together what's perhaps the greatest game show of all time. So you think you know Louis? Oh hell yeah! And this one. Is about nothing but his TV show. Fuck yeah. All right. This is awesome. You're not going to play it, Hicks. Because you stink at stuff. You know, it took me two times from Dave Quiz. I got that. (laughs) Um, Brad, you're on the Run of Fez show. Go ahead. Hello, boys. I really like the new song that Kokomo Joe has done. uh, Amy. Well, that's correct, Don. I've noticed, though, in both of his songs... He makes reference to your breast. What, what's up with that? And staring it, at them. It's what kids do. It's big with the kids yeah, these kids days. Kids are into it. Yeah. It's almost like it's the next four square. Um, let's go over to Dean in Pittsburgh. You're in run of us. Hey, Ron. Hey, since I, since I brought up the idea about having, having them do that song from Juno, uh, maybe next day they should try something from the movie Fargo. I don't like shooting each other, putting each other in a wood chipper. <laughs> I, like I don't get it. Minnesota, though, that makes sense. Oh, yeah, oh, you are yeah, from Minnesota. No, 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 yeah. 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 I don't know whether you guys will ever be able to top that one. And there was a <laughs> lot of chemistry between the two of them. Oh, yeah. fuck yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Both sparks. Um, let's go over to Pat. Pat, you're in Fez. Hey, I think Kokomo's getting better. But I think Dana's getting worse. Oh, oh my oh, God! Pass. Oh, jeez! Oh, that was wrong. Oh, no! Killed. God Listen. damn it! She's a perfect. She's doing her best. What's doing her best? What's your last name, Pat McGroin? Oh, oh shit, son! Ticket, Pat. You don't want. We've been wasting our time with you as a singer, and you should be an insult comic. Okay, that should be your thing, where you just insult people. Okay. I can do that. Like, write something about that handsome Johnny Tube stick. I will. And about how he's always eating dirt, shitting it out, and then eating his and own dirt shit. <laughs> you know, something about that. Okay, Have you written any new jokes lately? Yes. All right, good. Let's take a listen. Well, okay. Uh, All right, hold on. This is the comedy style. You write jokes? Yeah, he does. He's yeah. a joke writer. He takes them off of Google. Man. He's a right. no. 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 he on. takes them off Google. On, you Stop two. it. Stop. All right, guys. Dana. All right, okay. easy on her. I did. Uh, yeah. Lay her off okay. your insult I'm stuff. Your All right. Uh, okay, this one. Uh, bought, I bought some pants the other day. I bought some cutoffs the other day. Yeah, they're half off. <laughs> they're cut that off. was horrible. That's, what's horrible what about, it? about it? Maybe you just didn't get it. You know, That's Eugene cool. Levy today said, write to your intellect. You yeah. didn't write that. I totally, I totally did write that. Did you really? Yeah. All right, let's just... Sorry, I have a life. Okay. I can't Here, write jokes. I'll tell one more. It goes, uh, I always cry when I eat onions. Uh, not because of the vapors. I just... It just make me think of my grandma. She, she loved onions. 
That's so good. <laughs> yeah. That's really funny because at first I thought you were crying from the onions, yeah. but then you were thinking <laughs> you missed your grandmother because yeah. she liked onions. And then it's yeah. touching, too, because it has the grandma yeah. aspect to it. Why is that touching? His grandmother touched you? <laughs> Let's, I'm going to call no, the police. No. <laughs> and even if she's dead, we can still have her tombstone put in prison. Fez, <laughs> uh, have you uh, passed the Louis thing yet? I have not passed it. Why not? I thought you were a big Louie fan. I'm a big Louie fan, and I thought I've watched Louie, but this is tough. I have not passed this yet. Who is Louie? Louis C.K.? You don't know who Louis C.K. is. I didn't know who Roger yes. Water was. I didn't know who any of these people are. You didn't, <laughs> yesterday, you didn't know who F. Scott Fitzgerald was or Neil Young. What? What's going I, on? I've heard of Neil Young. Can I my ask mom you this? listens to him. Your mom raised you in a mayonnaise jar that was sealed. No, not at all. You were like a bee. That there's a couple holes punched in the top of it. Nothing happened. So you had ne- you've never heard of Louis C.K.? Is he like a singer? Yeah, he's a really fine singer. Yeah. What, what I, genre of music? Huh? What genre of music? Hip hop. That's what he he sings. Hip hop. Um, he's the one who came up with "I Got the Power." All right, Hicks. Let's see if she can play over here. Okay. You, this is on FX, by the way. Yeah. Um, and yesterday she had never heard any Neil Young until we played it for her. No, I'm sure I have. He went. I think to- it was. I think it, actually, I'm thinking about Neil Diamond. Yeah, you're oh, okay. we're, we're always thinking about him. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> this is ridiculous. You failed again? Yeah. You had a bad night. Oh, that's the bad song? Yeah. You had a real bad night. Kind of night where you wish you didn't have to have any more nights. Like shit. You had a bad night. Sad. Boy, was that a shitty, shitty night. I like it on TV. Wasn't your first and it wasn't your worst. But all the same, could somebody please stop these shitty, shitty nights? I feel really bad about myself. I'm kind of misty right now because that reminds me so much of Joe's grandmother. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> all right, Kathleen, you watch all the Louis, right? I do. Come over and take the test. Oh, no. Take the test. Take it. Take the test. Oh, you never even passed the Eastside Dave test? Oh. Now, I I just want you to know that every time you take this test and fail it, a Chinese child dies. (laughs) You better pass that test. Save the Chinese child. Boy, does that Kathleen have beautiful hair and skin, huh? Thanks, buddy. Just the prettiest. (laughs) Get out of here. And I always like a nice hoop earring like that. I'm big on it, but... Then again, when I only only used to date gypsies, that would zip for me. <laughs> if you weren't a gypsy, I was out of there. <laughs> Kathleen is taking. Oh, uh, yeah, she's. Our, so much I can't even take two. Don't, this you take all the time, <laughs> all the okay, time okay, you okay. need. Um, John in Buffalo, your own Ron Fez show. Whoops, let me try again, buddy. Go ahead, John. You know, I mean, she should at least know who Neil Young is, considering the fact they both go through an entire song with just playing one note. All right. All right. Come I'm on. tired of this. Yeah. I'm tired of this. shit are you talking All right, let's play a game where we come up with a name and try to stump Dana, see if she won't know who the person is. Okay. Okay. All right, I'm going to start yeah. it off, okay? Okay. Obama. Oh, president. All right, I'm not that okay. Okay. All right, Chris. Steven Spielberg. Yes, director. All right, good. Fuzzy. Uh, Madeline Albright. Oh, come on, Fez. No. You gotta give her a little bit. <laughs> Sounds very right familiar, though. Yeah, you gotta give a little bit of break on it. All right, go ahead, Joe. Um, oh, great. 
Stephen Stills. <laughs> Still, yes. <laughs> Staying with the Crosby spell. No. <laughs> Wait. No. Um. Yeah. Uh. Country artist. Uh, is he yeah, a music artist? Yeah. Music yes. artist. Okay. Yes. Okay. All right. Ready. Mm-hmm. Slappy White. No idea. Okay. Oh, yeah. Nipsey Russell. No idea. Mm. What about Kermit the Frog? <laughs> oh, <laughs> so you do impressions. Joe. I didn't know that you do. <laughs> no, that was, that was not an impression. That's his voice. Well, here's, here's my impression of Batman. Yeah. Great. I'm Batman. Oh, that's good. Wow. He's like, good. That's how I would disguise my voice yeah. if I was Batman. You know what? That's the thing. Don't um, when you do your stand up, mm-hmm. don't <laughs> lean on your impressions. Okay. But have a couple to go yeah, to. Have to them in a bag for a rough audience. Okay. Oh, you're a comedian now? Yeah. yeah. Oh, he's always been. Man. Stand up? He's doing stand up? Yeah, he's gonna do stand up. That new club called uh, the Stand. I've already booked you in there. How much no. money is he making? Did you? Well, he's going to be an open mic the first night. Yeah, exactly. He's not going to be closing the show. Yeah, I'm not going to be no Louis C.K. the first night. I'm she not, doesn't know who that is. I don't know. Um, you can't even talk. Oh, lost man. on her, Joe. Don't you remember this? I don't know who he is. <laughs> and then she's going to go see you, and Louis going to come walking in and do a guest set. The place <laughs> will be going crazy, and she'll be like, where's Joe? Yes. Why yes, can't I exactly see what Joe? What's That's happening? the guy from work. <laughs> Where's that guy from I work? Sung I sung with him. <laughs> I really, I'm now starting to think she'd be better off with David. You don't even know no. David. Oh, we all know. I know David's of him, and I talked to HR no, about of him. You talked yeah. to HR about him. Seen his Facebook. Oh, Captain <laughs> Lost. I know we got seven in the world fighting. Oh God, the Louis C.K. game is up right now. His new show. Starts tomorrow night, and we're all excited about it. So far, nobody has passed it. No one. I feel awful about that. Um, insane, insane. I'll give it a shot. Song makes me feel sad. Well, it should make you feel sad. It's a loser <laughs> song for a bunch of fucking losers. I'm a fucking loser right yeah. now. Yeah. No. Did you write that song, Joe? No. Okay. It's from the Louis show. It's a TV show. All right, now I want to come up with places and see if you heard of them. Okay. Earth. Uh. Uh, no. I'll give you hints. What yes. are the planets we live on? <laughs> Middle Earth. Earth. <laughs> Middle yes. Next That's one. where Hicksley lives. Yeah. Magic sword. <laughs> a magic sword where people can actually go and fight dwarves and right, unicorns. Okay, right. I'm more and f- looks like Bob Seeger. I'm more of a fan of Westeros. The place where I don't know what that means. Game of Thrones. That's the concept. Oh, okay. yeah. Game of Thrones. Uh, by the way, Bob Seger, did you know who that is? Mm-hmm. Though, good. Say okay. she does. Full know. house. Right, cool. da- full house. Mm-hmm. What do you mean, full house? Do you say? Oh, so said Bob Seger. Oh. <laughs> oh, no, no, no oh, who no. that is then? <laughs> um, Bob Seger is driving along right now, going like this. They think I was on full house. <laughs> God damn it! Against <laughs> the wind, mean nothing to you. <laughs> <laughs> Kathmandu down on Main Street is it all forgotten about all the hits baby the Louis C.K. <laughs> uh, uh, contest is up right now alright I'm fun going through this again cause I felt like shit last time <sighs> did you guys post to the loser board for the shitty losers. Oh wait, what's this? Really? Back. 
Chicken in Hitler's mouth. Yeah. I'm gonna piss in Anna's mother's face right out of my dick is bigger than a monkey's pollen. Sorry. Uh, I'm in a good mood. So am I, Louie. Hicks, make sure you're the first person to post up on the winner's board. Will do. Uh, because you are the winner. I like being a winner. Yeah, hey, I just thought of a giant tube steak. Because okay. you're doing the insult comedy thing. Okay, it, go, it goes, uh, giant tube steak eats dirt shit. You know what else eats dirt shit? Worms. You know what they can do? Uh, reproduce on their own account. Uh, so go fuck yourself. <laughs> you know what I love about okay. that joke? It's so short. Yeah, right. Um, I love a 10-liner. And when you came in and dropped that 10-liner on me, I was so happy. Good. Uh, Hicks going to be the first person to post on the winner's board. That's right. And feel great about himself. I feel awesome. Yeah. I feel really good. You should feel good. It's been a great day so far. Why is that? Eugene Love, you unmasked. Charlie Watts. Chenny Tatum. I saw Is he him. here today? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I missed him. What do you have to say? Oh, you know who Channing Tatum is. I love him. Oh, do you? What, <laughs> so hot. what is it that you love about him? That he's so hot. Yeah. All right. So he's you're kidding. You know, people Why say. Why are you mad about that? What? I'm not mad, but I just don't see where he's attractive. What? And I'm openly gay. Go, go see Magic Mike and then talk to me. Oh, oh shit. Oh, damn. Yeah. Go What's see Magic it? Mike, Fez, and you, you'll come back Blake. You know what, Dana? You were right. The body's there, yes, but that face, it's like a lab chimp. Oh, <laughs> wow. Fine, who's your who's your favorite Hollywood crush? My, I think a Brad Pitt is gorgeous, oh, a Don, Johnny Depp. Oh, that, that hair. His hair does she, not look You've got to remember, she's only 20, Fez. <laughs> yeah. She's not in your bracket. <laughs> she's more the chain of tanning. Ryan Gosling is my number one. I'm yeah. just going to put it out there. You're right there, of course. Fez, <laughs> <laughs> so, in your world, she would be a twink. She's a girl twink. Yeah. Fez is over there. Twink. You know who I love? That Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> Why, I'd like to give him one. <laughs> and the old Keista. <laughs> Fez just went running into a gay bar uh, the other day, screaming, Limburg has landed. And... <laughs> Trying to kiss men on the lips. Oh, <laughs> Any no. luck with the fellas yet, Fez? No, no, I haven't had my first kiss yet. Well, you know, here's my. This might be helpful to you. Stop acting like you're grossed out by men. Like with the Chen and Tatum, you acted like it was the grossest thing you've ever heard. Yeah, what if Tatum like wanted it? Would you want to give it to him? <laughs> I'd have to put a bag over his head, but yes, oh. then I could do Are it. Are you? Oh, come on! You gotta admit he's a little cute. A little, just say it. You know I guess, it. Like a pug, like a puppy. <laughs> what do you do if he's like Whose show did he do today? <laughs> Sway. Did he do Sway. Sway. Sway gets no, a lot of, a lot of no. guys. Sway. Sway. He, I, saw, I saw him coming out of Sway. Him yeah, and I think posse. he did uh, Howard Stern too. Ah, oh. as well. I say. So I'm coming out of those quarters. The Howard yeah, Stern. You guys oh, should I didn't know. I thought you meant with quarters. I'm like, yeah. what? <laughs> he Is works this in something to do with the dance thing? Yeah. Well, we'll obviously we can never have him on the show. Why not? I was just because gonna say, what why Fez is just. Said, what about yeah. Ryan Gosling? Can you get him? Ryan yeah, Gosling is gorgeous. Him. Let's get him in. No way. Yeah, the, the day that you were out. Yeah. What was <laughs> the day that you were in here that we were looking for you? Oh, Monday. Monday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he was in Monday. Yeah. Yeah. He fucked up. He came in. It was great. We played the song. He didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he didn't like the song mm-hmm. very much. You. It was so much fun because. 
he was like on Foursquare that day. Yeah, he was like, where and... am I going to check in at? I'm going to post some status fucking updates. Yeah, and he was giving everybody ecstasy. Yeah, lots of MDMA. <laughs> He's like, yeah, where's some great. electronic music I can listen to? It was all the oh, kids stuff. And then he took us all to Urban Outfitter. And Boys hats and like so fucking shorts. Cool. And then... I don't know, something else really young happened. <laughs> we were Project X or something. Yeah, we went to Project <laughs> We had a Project <laughs> X party, yeah. and, and that was cool. And Skrillex showed up, and he was like, yeah, hey, let's spin, and we were guys. like, oh, <laughs> DJ. And a band, we booed the band off, and we brought the DJ yeah. back out. And then he gave great. us all free beats, <laughs> and we Dre were listening beats. to them. <laughs> And then we had those Super cool. no Adidas right, with guys. the chains on it. Fine. <laughs> those were the best. That was the best yeah, part. That was it. a good show that day. Yeah, yeah it was, was a really great good. show. Yeah. We should have more shows like cool, that. Cool swag. <laughs> I think Joe's just a little jealous right. that he can't look. Like People just awesome. wrote to me that I've been saying I've been saying Chatham Tanning, and that's not his name. <laughs> what is his Channing name? Channing Tatum. Shanning Tatum. Shanning is a name. Channing Tatum. Channing, Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum. I don't know what name that is. It's a tarred name. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're coming up on uh, three o'clock snack, oh, so shit. we got a break here. Thanks for coming in, Dan. Uh-huh. Sorry that it's uh, always a pleasure. I'm sorry, sorry that, that it was a, it was a bomb. The song. Yeah. I'll work hard. Maybe next the song. next song you should do with David, your real boyfriend. Maybe. Uh, I don't. Yeah, sure. Whoa, you're in trouble, what? Pokemon. No. Come okay. Well, I should, for it, if you can do a better job, you know, I'm up what to the challenge. Out? Which but, I don't think you. Oh, no, Joe gets like, he gets into it. I don't know if David would get into it. Yeah. Well, here's he's very th- he's very reserved. Let's say if he's as good as my guy, does he cut his own hair? While he's riding a bike, no. like Kokomo no, does, no. Kokomo might as well trim up a little bit. It's ambidextrous. Why I'm taking this trail? <laughs> That's so smart. You saving money that way. Saving anti. money and it's great cardio. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Do me a favor. Don't fall off the bike with those scissors. Oh. I worry so much. <laughs> call me when you get home. All right. I make him call me when he gets home. I'm like, I'm here. <laughs> Good. How are you getting along with your roommates? Everything okay? Yeah, they're all awesome. No one's trying to make you huff glue or do anything Not like yet, that? No. Where are you huh? living, no, no, uh, Bushwick. Oh. Mm. What? Why? Brooklyn? What's that? That's, oh. that's Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah what are you, are you anti-Brooklyn? Uh, Why are you mad? No, I just lived in Brooklyn. You just don't I lived want to make the trip all I lived in the nice part of Brooklyn. Oof, Brooklyn oh, Heights is fucking My dorm, my dorm building. Hoity-toity. Every, I heard everywhere around Brooklyn it's just not that good. P- Pips from Brooklyn, he'll beat you up. No, I don't. Oh, that's, come on. The way so to get a girl to like you is not to tell other guys. You have to threaten me. I got a friend that'll whip your ass. So, do you want to go out with me? Fucking mouth. Let's go. Um. All right, let's break. We'll be back. Three o'clock snack. All kinds of stuff today. Ron and Fez. Ron and Fez. The Ron and Fez Show.
It's uh, the Ron and Fez Show. And I will stroll. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Hicks, uh, you brought me in some cigars here? That's right. Foggy Otis. You are kidding me. Yeah. You know, Foggy Otis is one of the people who sends a bunch of stuff into the iBang. And is always first to go if something's... Even a little skill, he'll, he'll contact. do it the right way uh, and say, oh, look, he's great. He was in today? He was in today. It drives me nuts. Normally, 100% of the time, I can hang out a little bit with There's the audience time. after. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen Fred from Brooklyn in like a year, but I had to run back down here because I knew I was going to have uh, Charlie on the show within minutes of doing that unmasked. It just... I'm so bummed out. I really wanted to meet Foggy. Yeah. And he uh, hit me off with some smokes, which is very nice. Also, Christine hit me off with some smokes. And Joel, a nice bottle of Sailor Jerry spiced rum. What is it that people think that you're doing so well that they should give you these wonderful presents? I, don't, I really appreciate it. I thank them very much. Thanks, well, why don't you thanks just thank Foggy Otis, not just for that, but for all the wonderful things that he does. No, Foggy Otis is the man. I don't know how he comes up with the name Foggy Otis. Was he foggy? I guess. I guess he just can't really maybe not see well. Alright. I hope he comes back again soon. Because I want to I get this chance to shake the hand and shook the world. You going to crack open that whiskey? And who gave you the weed? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> that skunk that you got in your pocket. <laughs> You don't want to say who that was? I don't know. I'll keep that, you know, all private. Um, Stellar Jerry, though. Blake in Illinois has a spy report for us. A spy, spy report. Spy report. Spy report. Spy high report. Um, in the city uh, of Chicago, they just passed a law now. If you get busted with less than 15 grams of weed, it's only a ticketable offense. Spy report. Nice. Spy report. Well, what kind of non is going to walk around with 15 grams of weed? Hey, uh, Zeitz, come on over. Did I see you get a face job before the thing today? Were you getting in some trouble right oh, before Eugene Levy? Uh, it was a misunderstanding. Everything was taken care of. I was apologized, too. So we terrible. yell first and then find out later? Is that how it works? <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, it's amazing that that would happen at a corporation or yeah. something like that. Um, but everything worked out? Yes, everything okay, is fine. Good. All the stuff went very, very well today. It did. It did. Uh, Roger Waters Town Hall, and of course, Eugene Levy unmasked. And uh, I wish that we could have got those two guys together to compare and trade back and forth about you know which career has more esteem. I'll say this: unlike Roger Waters, the guys that Eugene Levy works with still talk to him. So mm -hmm. I'll just put it that way. Someone knows how to make friends. Yeah. Someone knows how not to piss off everybody else in the band, because this is the, his was his direction. Shh, when you see me playing, shh. That doesn't, that doesn't make you friends. It's not conducive. No, you got to make new friends and keep the old, because one is silver and the other gold. Zito, why don't you have some rum with me? You got the other announcement to make, or you're not ready to make it yet. Not ready to make it yet. Oh. Well, my my boss told me we can make it. Did he? Yes, he did. Well, Didn't your he boss, say that yesterday? Well, you seen your boss check with me on these things. Oh, he's he knows what he's doing. He's shooting from the hip. 
Um, <laughs> no, we're not supposed to. We we should not. Or, no, we should not. But we felt like we have it. Oh, I got a spy report for Kathleen from the Bronx. Spy report. Spy report. Spy report. Uh, according to this person, Lorenzo's Pizzas burnt down this morning. Spy report. Spy report. Spy report. Some of the finest pizza in the in Philadelphia. Um, but I'm sorry, they burnt down. You don't think it was? The, some of the finest pizza in yeah. Philadelphia? No. That's what it says here. Yeah. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. <laughs> I mean, like, that guy's like business just burnt down. <laughs> yeah, and now you're saying good. It is. It's one of the best. Oh, God. I'm the worst person in the world. Sorry, everybody. Glad you're shitty pizza. pizza. And now the Philly. reviews are in. Uh, in Philly, I'd go probably uh, Santucci's, maybe, if you want that square with the sauce on top, that yeah, uh, style that's on there. Or, uh, they do. Sounds good. Slice is good. I, yeah. Now I feel like I really feel like I'm so awful. Now I'm sorry. <laughs> Did you just say slice? Yeah, it's called slice. the chain. The chain. Is it a chain? Yeah, oh, they make it all over. Oh. They got, it's here in the city too, though. It's pretty nice. It? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like a, yeah, it's good. It's very um, light. It's very. Yeah. yeah. And I got a place over by me too. It's pretty good for like a you know average slice kind of deal. But I'm a pain in the ass. I should. I'm again. I'm sorry. Don't you don't have to. Ass. Hey. You don't have to apologize to these people. No, but I feel like I should. I definitely eat some of their slices in the middle of the night when I'm all drunk or whatever. But uh, last <laughs> time we called it quits. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Stop talking now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> um, it is the Ron and Fed show. Time for a 3 o'clock uh, snack. Oh. I don't even... Uh, in honor of Eugene Levy... We wanted to do girls with really thick eyebrows and Elvis Costello glasses. I don't know how hot that is. I mean, oh. What is it? Girls eating hot dogs. You know what? I'm starving. I would eat one right now no matter who. Oh, this girl's at a Brooklyn Cyclones game. Good for her. You're all about Brooklyn these days. For being a guy from Queens, you you talk uh, Brooklyn up quite a bit. Went to high school in Brooklyn and spent all, like, all my high school years just constantly fucking hanging out in Brooklyn. Is that why you started calling it Crooklyn? Yeah. Mm. That movie. It's really cool. <laughs> then you started calling it She's Gotta Have It. Uh, later you called it I'm Going Over to He Got Game. That was shot in my high school. Parts that was shot in my high school. Jesus! Fuck yeah. That was my favorite part of it. I like that movie. See, it's what's happening with you. You're in a second. You're out a second. I'm worried about you a little bit. Sorry, I just get lots of phone calls and, you know, lots of stuff. Lots of moving parts going on. Maybe that girl's going to get you back to one in San Francisco that you were in love with when you were a kid. I don't think... I think Is that's something you kind of just brought up for what yeah. seems like no reason to hurt me. Did you start crying when Nora Ephron died? Because to me, I think she invented the modern... Uh, romantic comedy. She was an innovator in that scene. So, I mean, that's sad. Was there anybody before her that made that kind of comedy of that we have today? Not one that I liked. Yeah. So, I'm going to say no. I really liked You've Got Mail. That was probably my favorite one. Oh, and, of course, When Harry Met Sally. But but you but you did the You Got Mail as M-A-L-E, and that was the one that you said you liked. No, but I... It was I just did, two fellas. I did see the, the Channing Tatum movie yesterday. Chatting Ramam. How was it? It was, uh... Write it down, because I know you don't want to badmouth it. I was just going to say it was pretty gay, which, I, that's not a derogatory right. term, so... Mm, it is, for a movie. I don't think any movie review could say, it's pretty gay, and that's considered uh, four stars. <laughs> uh, How many stars would you give it? Uh, uh, 
three hard cocks. Like, I don't know. I, I'm going to go. It was, it was funny. Is it something only girls would like? No, I actually don't think it is. I mean, it's just kind of, in general, it's only an okay movie. But it's not, like, it's definitely, like, about a male stripper, but it's, it's not just that. There's, there's a lot of tits in it, too, which is nice. Um, but it's just an okay film overall. Is it like male showgirls? Is this that good? Who was in the audience? Was it couples? Uh, well, you saw it as a screening. It was a screening. One thing that is weird is I would go see this movie just for Kevin Nash. It's very strange to watch him. Like, there's all these guys. Uh-huh. Like, you know, whatever. And then there's, like, fucking Kevin Nash. Like, even when they're doing, like, choreographed dances, he just looks so retarded because... Wait, he's he, supposedly a male stripper in this? Yes, his name is Tarzan. He's like 50. His name is I Tarzan. He, I thought he was, like, photoshopped into a picture of it. I <laughs> no. know it was really in it. Yes. I'd rather see the bad guy. And the same thing. Chico. Hey, everybody hates the bad guy. Yeah. Oh, he was the best. Yeah, like at one point. He like, doesn't even have any knees left to move around the no, stage. I don't know how he was doing it. Like how everyone about nephews. Else, <laughs> everyone else sort of looked like a like a male stripper. I was like, alright, I get that, but Kevin Nash just looked like fucking diesel. Like Big Daddy Cool was running yeah. around acting like an idiot. So you loved it. I, I did not love it. I thought it was I thought it was, you know. Did, at any point did Matthew McConaughey go, All right, all right. Oh please say yes. <laughs> kind of did. Hey, party at the moon tower, everybody. That should be his I'll be back that in every movie he's gotta say party at the moon tower. Fuck yeah. I I just Yay! like he said go. it again. Let's go, all male strippers, let's party at the moon. <laughs> You hear we're having a party at the Moon Tower. Everybody's going to be there. Stripper party. I think I see a lot of lawbreakers in this room. That's <laughs> what he says that, to all the ladies. Because oh. he's like, you can't you can't touch. The law says you cannot touch. And then he's does, like, At any point, does anyone choke on a penis in this <laughs> no. film? But there is one guy who I believe is called Big Dick Something who is fucking constantly using a penis pump to, uh, you there, know, uh, his I, meal ticket. I saw him on the Kelly show the other day, and they were saying... You uh, have a name that we can't say on the air. Apparently, he's from the Vampire Show or something. And I'm like, what name could he be? And then I came up with Cocky McJizzsplooge. Go to stage is Cocky McJizzsplooge. That wasn't it. I go, I guess his name is Cocky McJizzsplooge. I think they did like a flash mob this morning on the Today Show. Good. Like Chang Tatum just started fucking. And then one of the guys was grinding on Ann Curry, like very strangely. Well, she's out. Well, I mean, so at least she got, like, you know, some male She got raped before she... (laughs) Yeah, but that guy was Joe... Going to white party. Yeah, Big Dick Richie. Big Dick Rick. Wait a minute, Big Dick Richie. Dick Richie was uh, True Romance. He was the the guy. Yeah. In True Romance. They can't even come up with their own name? No. Blows. Fuckers. Magic Mike sounds more like a children's party music. uh, Well, here's somebody who wants to talk movies with you because he likes all the best ones. (laughs) It's Jabibi. So, guys... Uh, no, I wanted to come around and your questions. He didn't quite answer it. Matt, not only does McConaughey say, all right, all right, in this movie, he says it like three times. <laughs> you are kidding me. <laughs> he really does. That's he why does. you said it, I was like, yeah, he really does. He goes, all right, all right, and, ladies. And, <laughs> and he says it so many times that Channing Tatum plays like sort of his mentor. He says it in the movie, too. All right, he's passing the baton. Wouldn't he be the mentee? What are you just yeah, drinking like whiskey bad. during the show? Oh. This is like a problem. <laughs> oh, go, I was Take a big hit off. Like, like, like a problem? I was going to do one for the all right, all right. Yeah, really do, one for, the yeah. movie. do one for you. Do one for you. All right, him. all right. There he goes. Problem drinker. All right. Let all me right. just smell it because I. You know what? Let me just do one of the. No. Just take a hit off this. See if I'm still an alcoholic. Oh, I, I never know. No, 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 no. 
<laughs> Don't do that. Oh, man. Uh, it just smells like peace, doesn't it? It you know? is. Like a comfortable a, thing. Yeah. Just like you can get to a nice, comfortable place. It feels yeah. good. Daddy can't hurt you there, right? <laughs> when you're drinking rum, daddy can't hurt you anymore. Uh, G-Baby, I guess Zeets is trying to be a marketing fool, so he won't tell us the truth. What did you think? Honestly, I thought Magic Mike was great. It's one of my favorite movies I've seen this year so far. Really? Whoa. Yeah. It's not, I mean, it is, I mean it's going to draw girls in because it's a stripper movie, but it's more, way more a Steve, Steven Soderbergh movie than it is a stripping movie. I mean, it's sort of like the informant. It reminds me a lot of the informant in that you can read it sort of one way, but it's really more has a subtextual thing. Mm-hmm. You know, where in that movie, he's sort of this happy-go-lucky guy, but he doesn't know what's going on. The whole movie, Magic Mike, is sort of like that, where, you know, the movie is about strippers and this great lifestyle, but really it's about how this lifestyle is so I'm absolutely stunned. I had no idea that this was getting any uh, good reviews. Yeah, I really, really favorite like movie of the year. So it's one of them so far. A hundred times better than Avengers. Best Soderbergh movie? Really? Ever. Holy shit! That includes traffic. Fuck! Why are you no, throwing your gifts no. around? Because <laughs> <laughs> he had a drink. Let's each, let's do a drink. Like if I was drinking it, how would it? Is it like nice and warm when it hits? Yeah, it's warm and yeah. smooth, you know? It's good. It's rummy, you know? By the way, again, we got in trouble for how cold we keep this studio. Poor Charlie Watts. It almost killed him. He felt like he was in a frozen tundra. I think Charlie Watts signed a, a, a fair amount of Roger Waters albums when he was leaving. Like The, the fans just ran out of the Roger Waters town hall. Oh, that's like, really funny. Shit at him and he was just like, oh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I think he might have. I can't remember if he signed Roger Waters on a couple of them just for shit. He should have been like, you know, it's Dark Side of the Noon. Mick, Keith, oh, Ronnie, Wood, uh, Chuck Berry. Just it's awesome. That's all I kept hearing. <laughs> and then Sonny Rollins. Wow. Uh, so best movie this year, Magic Mike. And you think Big Dick Richie could be looking at an Oscar? Uh, well, when, when you see his dick in a penis pump, I mean, he's, he's on his way, I guess, right? And you were just loving this. I uh, this Those parts is, sound great. This is it's baffling not- to me because I just uh, had no expectations for this. Uh, but now hearing really good things, G-Baby, yeah. who, let's face it, has hated every film this year, yeah. loves this. Even And this is the guy who put down Moonrise Kingdom, who attacked Wes Anderson and tried to make him explain himself over the phone, and he loves Magic Mike. Magic Mike's the one that puts him over. It's not the best movie of the year, but it's one of them so far, I think. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like I said, if you like Soderbergh movies, he, he really has fun with it. I mean, it's, it's not as glossy as, like, Oceans, but like I said, it's way more you know, back in his wheelhouse. It's no, it's no traffic, it's no sex lies, but, I mean, it's a, be- it's a beautiful, interesting movie. So it's beautiful. No, it's no Oceans, not like the three Oceans 11 movies he made. It's, it's not like Traffic. It's not like that other movie. So if you ignore like five or six of the movies that he's made, Zeitz, why do you seem like your counterpoint on this? I just feel like it was okay. <laughs> I even read his tweets before I went. I was like, "Gee, yeah. maybe this is really good." I'm I'm gonna prove everyone wrong and love the shit out of this movie. It's gonna be great. And it was like, "Who'd you go with?" I went by myself. Okay, oh, I think yeah. that's better. Jack party. I think it's better than going with another person. I don't like seeing movies with people. Actually, like, I'd rather go alone because you can see well, the, so much more horrible shit. You also really don't go with. I mean, you go at the same time as people, but you do it. It's a separate experience. 
like like my I have friends that say I could never go to the movies. Alone. Why you don't you don't fucking talk during it? What's the difference? Mm. I normally can go to a film, any film in the city, and make friends with black people and just try to, like, I'll go sometimes like, yeah, put one up high, that was great, or I'll say you were correct, she was crazy to go in there where that light wasn't working. <laughs> and I know, you are right, she should go in there with a tank. Bitch be crazy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, G-Baby, anything else you like this weekend? Yeah, I think uh, I think Ted is like I said uh, when I was on a couple weeks ago. I think Ted is pretty funny. All right, uh, now let's sort of... play it this way. Yeah, you can only see one movie this weekend: Magic Mike or Ted. Well, I think Magic Mike is by far the superior film. Wow! Whoa! Seth MacFarlane looks like an asshole. No way! Yeah. I mean, but it's if you want to laugh or do you want to think is really what it comes down to, or do you want to see you know more naked women or naked men? And uh, I know what I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose naked women, personally. Mm. No, you're not. Okay. Well, well see, if I was, let's say, Fez and openly gay, I would be offended by a movie that's made for women, and it's a hetero movie, but gay guys are supposed to go to it. Like, I would never show up at a, a club if I was gay that was for hetero women. Because then everybody's going to act like, well, what are you doing here? Yeah, then you're second class going in. Exactly. So is that how you feel about Magic Mike? Yeah, because... If, Should there have been a gay character? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask, if there was any sort of gay relationships between any of these guys, any of these characters. Something that, you know, regular people can relate to. Kevin Nash yeah. gets double teamed by McConaughey and Tatum. <laughs> right, now, see, you're making it sound freakish. <laughs> yes, <I'm> Jack <laughs> uh, there's, there's actually, I don't think there's like any mention of anything gay in the movie. Which is really... Like, it's really weird because the guys are just constantly doing gay stuff with each other. Like, they're fucking oiling each other up or, or you know. And that's, yeah. You hear but, what you're hearing here, Fez? Yeah, because that's all for the ladies. That's what the lady, that's the ladies' delight. Well, he's just calling that gay. As if if someone spots someone in the gym, that's gay. Oh, yeah. Or if you finger another guy's bunghole, uh-oh, you're being gay oh, instead of helpful. Yeah, maybe you gotta get something out. Oh, no. God. All right. Uh, scale of one to a uh, hundred. What do you What do you give this one? One to a hundred. Okay. Ninety yeah. um, uh, nine. An eighty. Eighty. Oh. Okay. Critics of Rotten Tomatoes have given an eighty one percent. I thought so it was one of the best so ones, the best films of the year. It's still far, but it's still you know I, I you can't give it like it's hey, almost July. Yeah, <laughs> we're Come halfway on. done. Yeah, look at all the movies we got left coming out. Come do you, on, do Batman, you just want to say? Do you want to just say best male stripping movie of the year? It's probably the best male stripping movie of all time. Oh. There you go. So that puts it above. Uh... Well, then you haven't seen Night in Heaven, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> Is there stripping a Midnight Cowboy? That might be the no, idea. no. Okay. That was a pre male stripping time. All but right. there is gay sex in Yes, he was a yeah. fucking hustler. So what? Come on. Don't they fuck... put him down. My friend's gay. Come Don't they on, fuck he... each other in Midnight Express, too? Yeah, but that's that in prison. prison. It's prison rape. Anybody would do that. Get it right! All right, you baby. <laughs> All right, boys. Have a good one. Oh, there Peace. was a male stripper in summer school. Oh, uh, yeah, that's that right. He went away and was a stripper. Yeah. And then check out Night in Heaven. That had... Uh, <laughs> The same kid that was in Blue Lagoon. I can't remember his name. Christopher, Christopher Atkins. Thank you. 
Uh, up on the iBank today, this hysterical uh, Sorkin video where he rips off himself and everything. It <laughs> really had me uh, laugh. And also, Mike Tyson short film is up there. Hicks found that one for us. That was good Great one. Domino's video where you see that Domino's is a very rough game. Uh, the dog who catches the fish is up there. Maggie Gyllenhaal interview is also up. This is all up on the iBank today. Uh, we're just whipping through the show today. Fucking burn through. Yeah. Shit. Was he a little drunk? Plus, we got all this rum. I wish Zito would take a, sh- a drink with me. I take a drink. I, I cannot. Take a drink that. with your buddy. I Why got me one drink with your buddy? Just take one drink. Just a little. Just a little Come on. A nip. Have a sip. Take a nip. A magic mic. Just a little nip. I don't. Just a tiny nip. I don't. Little bit of nip. I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think it's Just a tiny nip. Come on. Drink it. This is bad. This could be bad. I don't. Oh God, smells so bad. It's rum. It's fucking good rum. Just fucking drink some. Nip like a pirate. Drink like a pirate. Come on. Meetings. Good, good. Nice and loose for your fucking meetings. You honestly think you're gonna get drunk from one nip? I just really like. It's not the, the getting drunk that bothers me. It's the like I'll make the face and look like I'm gonna fucking vomit. No, there. just you're gonna be fine. Go ahead, take it. Just a sip. Just a little just nip. Just a fucking sip. Just so you can be with your old buddy Chris Stanley. Come on, Aww. best friends yeah, forever. Best friends. Come on, Love ever. It. It'll never end if you drink this. Okay, fine. Come on, take a sip. Uh, oh, all right. Oh, oh God, right. look at that face. What a bitch. Yeah, yeah, terrible face. Bitch, what a pussy <laughs> face. What a stupid <laughs> pussy face. Uh, three o'clock pussy. snack today. Oh. Girls with hot dogs. Hicks, you were saying this is your favorite of it's all time? It's really good. Because I had th- your two favorite things. Girls and hot dogs. I love hot dogs. I love this bra yeah. in the fucking fridge. It's my favorite. <laughs> if she don't well. win, everyone can blow me. <laughs> Get over it. <laughs> um, Dan, St. Pete. Go ahead, buddy. Yeah, I think Fez will like Magic Mike. A lot of it was filmed here in St. Pete, Ebor, and Tarpon Springs. Fez, why don't you know these things? Whoa. I have That's no... your old place uh, of being. Yeah, I had no idea that was being all filmed there. You gonna go see it? No, you gotta go see it, Fez. Oh, come on, you guys see it. Fez, it's almost been, like, seriously, like, almost two years on that. I think it's time you see a movie. How long has it been, Fez? It has been like, oh, it's coming up on two years. It'll be two years August. And you think he's still watching movies? Oh, I probably. I know he saw Avengers. I know it. Never In my saw heart it. of hearts. You said Machete was the last film you saw, right? No, Machete, yeah. if you remember correctly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't, pronounced. Don't bring that back on him. He's the new Fez, though. That always came out. He's very, he's very relaxed. And... He's at the parade. Yeah. Maybe you didn't hear about the parade. Go <laughs> see pictures. back. <laughs> All right. You're drunk you on rum. You You're drunk on rum. What are you doing drinking out? You're going to end up trying to kiss somebody in a meeting today. Old Rummy is all <laughs> fucked up. You guys want to go see Magic Mike again? I'm fucking drunk. What did you get yelled at for today when I saw you get a face job? Uh, it was just that uh, the green room was supposed to be reserved for somebody, yeah. and somebody else went in the green room. Yeah. And they were like, why? And I, I was like, well, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, fine. Everything turned out great. The reality, the person was supposed to be on the air anyway at that yeah, point. So it was a nightmare. Um, all right. Well, it all went. All was well that ends well. That's the beauty of it. All's well that ends well. Um, stay on the iBank today. Lots more to come. The uh, stories will keep going up. Thanks to everybody for the the strangeness of going from Eugene Levy into Charlie Watts. That was just madness. Pure madness. Yeah.
on the iBang, the Louie quiz at your primer, mm. getting ready for season three that starts tomorrow. I'm so excited. you got to be able to take the your Louie fan, right? Yeah. All right, do as fast as you can. See, before we get to the end, oh, if you can win it. Come on. Come Bang on, out. Rummy, boy. Come on. Come on, Bang Rummy. Out, Rums. Every Come time on, Rums. everyone you get Come long, on. you just drink a shot. It's yeah. Like a get a wrong, drink a well, shot. I don't know. Uh, it's like a sobriety test. Ah, damn it. I don't know. The, the Halloween episode, what does Louis Star's dress? Uh. Fuck. I forgot what the. I'm don't, gonna don't go. Say it. There you go. Oh, come on, click it. Oh, I think he's gonna win. I think he's gonna win if this he thing. He finishes it. Yeah, he'll finish. This is going to be like one of those movies of, is it the blue wire or the red wire? Holy and shit. And it always, by the way, it's always the blue wire. Know that. All right. Red equals dead. Blue equals kablooey. <laughs> Get in there and help yourself. <laughs> you can do this. You're almost there, Zito. We Come on. You. I don't want you to have to just guzzle that whole gallon of Seven, fucking... You're going to have to start guzzling rum if you don't fucking finish this thing. Correctly. Fuck you, Otis. Thank you so much. Hell I wish yeah. I would have... Oh. I, I'm very embarrassed with everybody that was at the Unmasked today that I didn't have the chance to yeah, do we, the meet and I, greet. I, I ran down the hall. We had it there. <laughs> here. Right. And then we also need to do that with the guests, too. Because his people weren't happy that his people were stopping him in the hallway. Yeah, right. But we freeze up. All right, couple more, Zeets. Oh, my God. It's so you, close. You take it to the winner's table. I don't think I'm going to I would love it. Winner's table or rum town? How well going? do you know, Louie? The Come quiz on. is up on the iBank today. Last one. Uh, oh, no. Oh. 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 Loser. Loser. You had a bad night. Oh, jeez. Here, have a shot for being a fucking loser asshole. Bum. Just have a couple of shots. I think I think I fucked up because I was fucked up. Drunk. Do two shots and I'll straighten you right back out. That will even you out. And I'm going to take you sailing. I'm going to take you out on the East River to sailboat. Oh, oh this song reminds me of Zito now. Yeah, because he lost being a drunk fucking loser. Smoke a cigarette, Zito. Yeah, Zito. Have some herb. Come on, Zito. Come on, let's get stoned. Do a rail. Chain Do smoke. Do a rail with me. Let's crush some pills. Chris fucking doing bang so some good. rails. Maybe I will. Maybe I will. Yeah, I am doing it. What the fuck's that supposed to mean? <laughs> Come fuck. Come fuck. Yeah, yeah. you're a pile of cum that you fuck. You don't even All fuck right. you. You're a cunt. All right, both you two guys. Don't you say that you're in love with each other? No, That's where this comes no. from. I tried you're to best friends. Try to get a peace friends. offering. He's like, I don't know. My pussy I, hurts. I, I'm not going to have any rum. I can't because we're going to be friends that. forever. He never said that. I heard him. Sound like it to me. Oh, no. We're about to get out of here. That's Com it. Computer's about to fucking kick us the fuck off. That's <laughs> <laughs> fucked up. Uh, that's the end of my show. Donk. This has been the Ron and Fez Show. If you missed any or all of it, or you crave the comfort of listening to sounds that are familiar to you, that'll bring you back to your childhood earlier today, check out the Ron and Fez replay. Weekdays at 1 a.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. Pacific. XM 105, Sirius 206. The Opie and Anthony Channel.